I got squigglies on mine too. Seven, seven, forty-two. Okay, we're good. Oh, alrighty, here we go. Welcome everyone to the Nothing to Fear podcast, a weekly podcast all about horror movies hosted by three of your favorite people in the entire world. I'll say it. I'm confident on it. My name is Billy Schultz, and I am joined over the fantastical internet airwaves by my good friend, Luke Mason. Hello, how are you? I'm good. Thank you for asking. All right. And I'm also joined by Alex Wan. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for asking. <laughs> Great. I love that you're doing the the long waiting for the satellite uplink uh, response. I can edit those out. But we are Glad going you like to that, gathered around. <laughs> Damn it! We are gathered one more final time in the year 2020 for our 30th episode. Big money, 30 episodes in a year. That's pretty good, I think. And we are going to be talking about Get Out, which I cannot think of a better phrase to send the year out with, especially this year. Get out, 2020. Get out. Ah, this wasn't the worst year, huh? This this can't be the worst year. It's Isn't true. Um, it's true. I'm sure like 1945 was worse, maybe. Oh, yeah. 42 was way worse. <laughs> 42, yeah. okay. No, I don't yeah. know. Way worse. All of those years were bad. <laughs> all of those years were bad. You know what? You know what? For for all of the strife and confusion and shit that's gone on in 2020. You know, we did start this podcast in 2020, and, you know, I have gone through a remarkable personal journey in 2020, so it's not, it hasn't all been bad, and, you know, at least you have a weird, dumb horror movie podcast to get you through the weeks now, which uh, we didn't have in 2019, so, yeah. Yeah, so 2019 right. was probably the worst year. Yeah, 2019 sucked. <laughs> and if we're, like, in Canada, shouldn't this episode be called Get Out? Get Out! <laughs> yes. Get Out! Oh, Yeah. Hey, buddy, let's be real. Nobody talks like that. Hey, pal, I'm not your buddy, friend. <laughs> this movie should have been called Take Off, eh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, get out of here, my friend. <laughs> get out of here, you hoser. Jeez. Yeah, <laughs> yeah for sure. <laughs> but, friends, what do we know about Get Out? Luke, why don't you tell us first? What do you know about Get Out? Well, I've seen it. So, <gasps> all of it. <laughs> Shock horror. Yes. <laughs> you know all of the parts. I know all of the parts. I mean, I think it came out in 2017, if I'm not mistaken. I, I might have even have seen it with Alex. I don't know for sure, but I'm pretty sure. I don't I think s- I watched it with you. No. Oh, you know what it was? We saw Us together, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, we saw Us together. So oh, yes, the, the, the next Jordan Peele movie. But this one I'm pretty sure I saw in theaters because it obviously had a lot of marketing around it and looked cool. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's a very yeah. unique take on horror, which is, and it's, it's interesting. And I think it's, you know, being a modern movie, it has a lot going for it <laughs> in the horror genre. So I'm excited to see it again and chat about it. A good one to end the year strong. Yeah. For, for me, this was a, a, one of the, the few movies that was coming out around this time, like 2017 time when I was listening to podcasts that talked about this movie and talked about with and, and sung its praises very highly and talked about how it was different than, you know, your standard horror movie. And it was one of those ones for me where I was like, you know, I feel like I'm missing out. I feel like I'm missing out on these movies by being too, too chicken to watch them. And so, you know, like if, if there's another one like Halloween 2018 or, even a couple of the other ones that we did where I felt like I am 
missing out on pop culture by not watching horror movies, then I think Get Out is you know very directly the the planted seeds of this podcast, and I'm really excited to get to tick it off the tick it off the list today. But uh, do you know anything about this one, Alex? Yes, I have also watched this movie, and Ooh. it I think it's a fantastic movie. It's really good. I enjoy it a lot, or I enjoyed it a lot, and I will probably enjoy it a lot again. Yeah, it's fun. It's a good watch. Yeah, I can't really add too much on that. I guess kind of like you, this this came at around like that time with I don't know the re- resurgence of horror movies with Get Out, Hereditary, It, Halloween, twenty eighteen. Around that time where, you know, a lot more people were talking about these kinds of movies. And like you, I was very scared to watch it, but I decided to watch it. And I was surprised at how good it was. And I think this was kind of the movie that maybe started to change how I viewed horror movies. And kind of got me into the more, like, the modern horror movies. Because, like, I've never watched any of these, like, the classics that we've done. But, like, a lot more of the recent ones I've watched. Yeah. This, this was kind of the movie that got me interested in, in the modern horror movies. That's cool. Yeah, I know that you know Jordan Peele is a director, has, has since gone on to do like really remarkable stuff as a director. And this was, correct me if I'm wrong, but this was his first directorial outing as a, as a director? Do we... I think so. Yeah, and he he that? wrote it as well. I'm pretty sure. And he, he took the it, yeah. He took the opposite route of everyone else. Everyone starts in horror and then goes into comedy. <laughs> he started in comedy and they went yes. into horror. <laughs> yeah, because he was big time in like comedy, like yeah. the two thousands and nineties and stuff. Key and Peele was Key and Peele is hilarious stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, yeah, I I can't wait to watch this movie. I can't wait to to dive into it. And I know that there's there's a lot of like conversation worthy stuff around this just by the fact of listening to other podcasts talk about this movie and you know, talk about the, maybe the political aspect of it, not really political, but like the social commentary aspect of it. And I I can't wait to see sort of what some things I've heard in a vacuum without any context where I'm like, that sounds interesting, but I don't have any reference points for what they're actually talking about. So I'm excited to put those in play and, and get this one, get this one checked off. Do you know what it's about? I very vaguely, it's, a, I think it's, is it like a couple is going to visit like this girl's family and they're an interracial couple? Is that Hey, you know a hundred percent about this movie. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> great. So yeah, I know Daniel Kaluuya is the protagonist or the the one it sort of centers around. He's the one on the poster anyway. And other than that, I don't know anybody else in this in this movie. So mm. I can't wait. Bradley Whitford and Carolyn Keener are her are the parents. Of the girlfriend. Oh, Bradley so, Whitford. Okay. All right. <laughs> Allison Williams, I think, is the girlfriend, the actress, and she's like one of the actresses in the TV show Girls, which would be probably her most famous role. So, okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. One other thing I wanted to add, just in case our listeners are excited about the notion that 2020 is ending, uh, let me reassure you, listener, there's a very good chance 2021 will also be a terrible year. So, <laughs> fear not. We are not over the bad times. So 2020 (laughs) only had 30 episodes of Nothing to Fear. Hopefully 2021 will have 52 plus. There you go. But I'm just saying, like, remember, remember, we had two and a half months in 2020 that were pretty good. 
I mean, they were winter, but January, February. <laughs> but like That's right true. now, we're sitting on the potential of a full twelve-month terrible year for 2021. Oh, so you no. know, fingers <laughs> crossed, we get the whole sh- the big Kahuna. The whole one. I I joke that <laughs> I, I would not be surprised if I went to bed on New Year's Eve and looked at the calendar and it just said December 32nd, 2020, <laughs> and just kept going. <laughs> the sequel, Groundhog Year. <laughs> yeah. Can't wait. So. You know what? Yes, it could be a horrible year. It could be getting better. We're all hopeful that we are going to get better and move into a big and better normal. But until then, you'll have nothing to fear in your ears to keep you company and to help fill some of those those days in quarantine. And I can't wait to get into this movie. So I think that we will mark it right now and say there's going to be spoilers when we come back we're going to talk about this movie we're going to dive into it pick it apart as best as we can we are still not experts 30 30 episodes does not an expert make and but 31 31 this will be we'll be experts 30. after this yeah next yeah. in january next we'll year in 2021 we'll be experts so oh, yeah, yeah, tune for in sure. for that <laughs> so there are going to be spoilers and if you're worried about any of the triggers please do check out does the dog die.com to give yourself a little heads up as we move into the trailer. And with that, I will see you all in a minute. You got your toothbrush? Check. Do you have your deodorant? Check. Do you have your cozy clothes? Got that. What? Do they know I'm black? Should they? You might wanna, you know? Mom and dad, my black boyfriend will be coming up this weekend. I just don't want you to be shocked, but he's... Blackman. <laughs> I ain't never seen you like this before, bro. Meeting families, taking road trips. Don't come back all bougie, man. Come back, get your damn pants up to your damn stomach. <laughs> so you guys coming up from the city? Yeah, we're just heading up for the weekend. Can I see your license, please? He wasn't driving. I didn't ask who was driving. I asked to see his ID. Call me Dean and you're hungry, my man. So how long has this been going on, this, this thing? <laughs> we hired Georgina and Walter to help care for my parents. When they died, I couldn't bear to let them go. Do you smoke in front of my daughter? I'm gonna quit. She'd take care of that for you. How? Hypnosis. I'm good, actually. Are you ready for this? I'm back in the beat. So look, I go do my research. Apparently, a whole bunch of brothers been missing in this suburb. But it's cool. Bro, how you not scared of this, man? Couldn't see no brother around here. Chris was just telling me how he felt much more comfortable with my being here. Get out. Sorry, man. Get out! Get Out is a 2017 American horror film written and directed by Jordan Peele in his directorial debut. Get Out follows Chris Washington, played by Daniel Kaluuya, a young African-American man who uncovers a disturbing secret when he meets the family of his white girlfriend, Rose Armitage, and she is played by Allison Williams. So, white people, am I right? (laughs) Yes. I'm going to have so much fun with this recording. I hope so, because I had so much fun watching this movie, but I want to know, I might as, you know what, I might as well talk because uh, first, because I hadn't seen this one before. You had both seen it a- at least one time before this. So for me, going into it very blind and 
Somehow I had either forgotten all of the podcasts I listened to about it back in 2017, which that's what happens. I don't really remember too much of the podcast I listened to. And I managed to avoid any of the spoilers. So all of the revelations in this movie were brand new for me. Everything that happened, the twists, uh, the twists and turns were all brand new. And it was a hell of an enjoyable ride to go through, even though there was some like you know, intensely, intentionally uncomfortable parts. And at the end, I was like, whoa, what just happened? But just all of the different ways that it was unfolding and and the way the plot turned in directions I didn't predict and what, like, hoped against and then was, you know, sad to realize the revelations that came through. It was all just like, damn, like, I had a great time in this film. It was a lot of fun. What about, what about you, Luke, for a second time? Yeah, there were a couple third things. Time, maybe, I don't know. Second time. This is a really good movie. I would say that since I kind of knew what had happened, I paid attention to two things a little bit more than I paid attention to the story. Because obviously there's a big twist and a couple twists, actually. And it's kind of a very memorable plot. So it kind of steals the thunder. But because of knowing what happens, I. I'm really interested to talk to you about reevaluating Rose's character throughout the movie because obviously a lot of her behavior is interpreted in one way when you don't know the plot and then interpreted in a different <laughs> way when you do or the plot twist. Yes. Yeah. And so yeah. she's her character is actually so interesting with that light uh, or with that knowledge and then also because the plot does like it's such a crazy movie. It's just a fucking crazy movie, actually. The you don't. I, I just want to. I don't know if we'll talk about it a lot, but I want to point out how what a well-made movie this is. The cinematography mm, yeah. is really great. The acting is fucking incredible. Like the all five of the main leads in this movie do such a good job, and I want to give an extra kudos to Daniel Kaluuya because his performance was so so many little nuances in his facial expressions and his mm-hmm. tone of his tone of voice too actually so there's like those are the two main things i really noticed in an enjoyable rewatch was rose like evaluating rose's <laughs> what she's doing and also the acting the cinematography just the way the movie looked because it was really really well done mm-hmm. yeah it was a beautiful film just like watching it and i do i want to i definitely want to dive in you know, maybe go into the sunken place on the <laughs> the camera work and some of the framing of the of the shots and stuff because yeah, that was it was all really fantastic. But Alex, what was what was your take on viewing number two? Yeah, viewing number two was really good. I think it just reinforced how much I liked the first time I watched this, and it's such a different kind of movie. Like there's there's nothing really you can really compare it to that I can think of. It's it's so unique in the way it tells its story and like the twist is so fun. Yeah, I think for me this was just a fun movie the whole time and I think Jordan Peele was really creative in being able to put in lots of other themes in a horror movie and I found I found this movie to be really funny actually. Yeah, for most of it and it was it's just a really smart kind of social commentary where it's also just a good movie period so yeah really really good movie really interested to talk about it today and yeah there's something you said there alex that made me think of a comparison that might might 
work. I don't know what you two think about this, but this movie felt a little bit kind of Twilight Zone-ish to me and a, a more horrific Twilight Zone. And the reason I make that connection is kind of the feel, but also the fact that Jordan Peele is hosting the new <laughs> Twilight yeah. Zone series. And it, obviously it's something that really influenced him. And so you you kind of get the sense of like something is off, but you can't quite put your finger on it. And I would say the middle chunk of this movie does yeah. that really well, where you're just like, okay. You're just like in, in Chris's skin with him, where you're like, yeah, something is really off about all this, but I don't quite know what it is yet. So that came to mind as a kind of a Twilight Zone-esque type of feel to this movie. Yeah, there was so many times where, you know, I, you know, I exclaimed uh, out loud while I was watching this movie. I shouted, I said like, oh, fuck, several times during during the the runtime of this film. And yeah, as, as soon as it happens, because, you know, you're primed to know that this is a horror movie. Everyone said it's a horror movie. So something weird is going to happen. So as soon as it as it is, you're just like, okay, what's the weird thing? And then everybody's just like a little bit strange and then like a little bit more strange and then a lot bit strange and then just like uncomfortable and, you know, problematic. And there's like tons of microaggressions and stuff that happens in this movie. And then, then it just takes a real big twist where they're like, and also hypnotism and brain transplants. Ta-da. <laughs> so yeah, there's your spoiler. <laughs> This movie, one of the twists was that there's a brain transplant scene towards the end, which is just amazing. Yeah, I mean, I would. It's amazing how how this part of the movie works. I think was the least developed part of the movie, which is probably a good choice considering it is the least sensical part of the movie. <laughs> yeah, but that's okay. <laughs> Like, how does the consciousness just hang out in someone else's brain, but you can't get rid of their brain totally? <laughs> like, yeah. You know, the philosophy nerd in me is like, yeah, we still don't know anything about consciousness, but you could do brain surgery on it now. Okay. <laughs> well, I think this is like, this kind of is kind of similar to with uh, It Follows, where it's like, just accept the premise for what it is and focus yeah, on the yeah, deeper yeah, themes yeah, of it. Yeah, no. We definitely don't have to talk about like how this works because it's clearly not the point of the movie. But I think we'd be remiss to not point out there is a massive gap here in empirical <laughs> well, actually, logic Luke, to do this. If you take the hippocampus and you <laughs> right. uh, you know weld it in with the spinal column, <laughs> and you make sure the C four vertebrae is touching this certain nerve, it's totally feasible. Yeah, come on. I I read a science book. You know what? In a different movie, Bradley Whitford made Cyborg, so. <laughs> yep, it's true. And in a different movie, Bradley Whitford was a proponent of the hollow earth theory. So, mm. you know, that man's just, he's just all over the damn place. <laughs> but yeah, we don't we don't have to talk about the brain surgery part of the movie because that doesn't happen until quite, quite a bit later in the movie. I don't know. Do we want to maybe just talk about the characters or do we want to do like a plot rundown? and kind of just go beat by beat that way. Cause I really think there's so much we can talk about and we could be here all night to, to do it if we just sort of randomly go. But what do you, what do you folks think? I think either, either, or I think we can probably do both at the same time. Do you want this to be like the kind of movie that someone watches before they listen to us? Cause I think if we go just kind of random scattershot 
characters, it'll be less easy to follow if you haven't seen it before. As a, like plot rundowns are good for people who haven't seen the movie before, but I would still like want people to watch this movie before they listen to our episode on it because it's just such a unique film. There's there's so few tropes in it that I mean, you're not just going it, to it's so different from other horror movies that you can't just rely yeah. on your classic knowledge about horror to be able to follow unless I guess we kind of do it through the plot. Yeah, I think regardless out there in listener land, like you should see Get Out. Like whether or not you you want to see it after you listen to our episode and then you want to download our episode again and listen to it a second time, like that's great. But if you've already seen it, yeah, I think definitely check this movie out regardless. It's not like it's not very scary, I will say, for people who are worried about scares and horror movies. There's some like minor gore and but it's not like a a very scary movie. It's an uncomfortable movie throughout most of it. And then it's a jump scary it's a, movie. It's a, fu- it's a funny movie is what it is. I think. And it's really funny. Yeah. It's like, it's so, it's so funny and it's so poignant and it makes, it made me think, and I haven't stopped thinking about it since I saw it. And I've actually like read stuff about this movie after I watched it because I was like, this isn't just Michael Myers is slashing people. This is like, I'm thinking and I'm, wondering and I'm, I'm thinking about all the performances that everybody turned in what it's like to be a, a liberal-minded white person who wants to be a good ally and how that can all like be problematic in its own way and you know like just sort of re-examining my own self in you know watching this movie and what what experiences I've had as a person I'm you know I'm white I'm Canadian so my experiences are way different but it was really interesting to see the film through the eyes uh, of Daniel Kaluuya's character, Chris, which is pretty funny because that's what the guy who want, who ended up winning the auction just wanted it for. It was his eyes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Steven Root's character. <laughs> well, but, I actually, yeah, why don't we just start I at the top? Guarantee you oh, that went ahead. into the casting, right? Like the actual physical look of his ocular area definitely went into the casting of Daniel Kaluuya mm, as yeah, those- the lead for sure big guys yeah 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 so why don't we just start we'll we'll start at the top and kind of go through the plot rundown with the i guess it's kind of a cold open where we see a guy walking down the street in a in an affluent neighborhood suburban neighborhood and he's on the phone and he's trying to find an address and we get this sense of fear and it's a guy walking alone at night and somebody's like pulling up on him and usually in a horror movie you know, a standard horror movie, this is like there's a woman walking down the streets at night alone and she's in danger, but like having this uh, Lakeith Stanfield's character in like an affluent neighborhood as a black man walking alone at night, you're like, oh, this guy could be in danger too because we don't know if there's like racist assholes around. And obviously it does not go well for him because he gets jumped and knocked out and put into the trunk by a guy wearing a like knight's helmet that's like how the movie starts up. So like, I thought that was really cool to sort of see like his tension. And he was like, literally just like, I just want to, I'm just trying to get somewhere. I'm not, doesn't like, he doesn't want to bother anybody. Nobody walking on the street is trying to bother anybody, but like the perception of like a black man in a white neighborhood. Oh my gosh, he must be up to no good. And then it's like, no, it's the, it's the other people who are up to no good. And he's like, he's really aware of it as well. Cause like, 
the car pulls up and like he turns and looks and there's nothing but then he keeps walking and the car's kind of fall like the car does like a u-turn and follows him mm-hmm. so he's just he's like all right like I, I don't want to deal with this so he turns around to go back the way he came so even he's aware of like you know i'm a black guy in a in a very affluent neighborhood like i don't want people like i don't want any trouble i don't want to like deal with anything right now so i'm just gonna leave mm-hmm. and i Which think that's that's like that's really like self like that's self-awareness to the max right off the open of the of like opening of the movie and then yeah so he gets grabbed and he gets thrown into a car and then we get we get the main title sequence we get the the get out uh, logo which from a cinematography thing it really reminded me of like the way they have the title screen for fargo come up on the tv show fargo because it's like all spread apart and you get like this these big vast distances between the letters and it just sort of feels lonely and isolated uh, between everything. Just seeing those come up, I was like, oh, that's kind of like a cool thing. Makes me think of this other TV show or a TV show that I liked. Mm -hmm. Just those forests. And like, I think we learned that the house, the Armitage estate is in upstate New York. I'm pretty sure. Yes. Yeah. Around there. And so you just get these really gorgeous shots of this forest as you're moving along there's a lot of really like weirdly there's some beautiful natural shots in this movie too which is kind of nice oh so many yeah it looked like really pretty pretty landscape and Mm -hmm. you know we're we're very quickly introduced to chris who is daniel kaluuya's character and he's a photographer he lives in the city and 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 we're, we're introduced to his girlfriend as well the the gal rosie who is i you know for I went on this journey with her because I really quite liked her a lot at first, you know, for the first about three quarters of the movie. And then you just don't like her at all <laughs> immediately after. But I, I was like, oh, you know, she's like adorable and charming and she has a nice smile. And like when when we first see her, she's got her hands full. And so she knocks on his apartment door with her head. And you're like, yeah, I've been there. Like just like this sort of dorky person and you just see their relationship and it appears to be quite a loving, you know, beautiful relationship. And they're going to her parents' house for the weekend and she's telling him, you're the first black guy that I've ever dated. And my parents don't know. And he's, she's like, it's not going to be a big deal, but it is a big deal. Did you have any suspicions of her before the reveal? I, yes, I was like, I bet you one of the turns is she's also bad. And then I spent... Mm a good portion of the film being like, please, no, please, no, please, no, please, no. <laughs> yeah, right. And then she was bad. <laughs> I, 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 did, I didn't want I did, her to be bad. Uh, yeah, I distinctly remember the first time I watched it. I really didn't think she was bad until the, se- like the scene directly before the reveal. It didn't even really occur to me that she was in on her parents and everybody else's machinations until... Mm-hmm. It's the scene, but like just before Chris, I know I'm jumping ahead in the plot here, but just before Chris finds the photographs of Rose with all the other black guys she appears to be dating. He, and after he's just had the conversation with Rod on the phone, after he sent the picture and they've figured out which guy that is, the, it's yeah. not Logan, it's Andre, I think his name is. Yeah. As soon as, and then there, there's like a 15 second conversation between Chris and Rose. And I remember thinking, fuck, she's That's bad too. <laughs> she's bad too and we haven't had it quite confirmed yet in the narrative but i i remember thinking distinctly like wow 
Rose Rose was bad the whole time. Wow, that's that's a really yeah. good part of this movie. Yeah, I think I think they they did a good job at kind of like hiding the fact that there was going to be the twist in her character just because they made everybody else so so weird that you know any kind of suspicion that you had of her wasn't wasn't like in the forethought of your brain. Dad is just like you know so so kind but like in a weird way. Yes. <laughs> like just saying stuff that's like why did you say like I I understand you're trying to be nice but like don't like why would you say that? That's just weird. Mom is like hypnotizing people without permission. <laughs> yeah. Not her, okay. <laughs> yeah, her brother, I think Jeremy is just weird period. And it's just like you get bad vibes from him right away so you're like Okay, of course those three like I'm probably really suspicious of, but because their their antics are so much weirder, any suspicion I have of Rose isn't going to be there until the actual reveal of her character. So I think that was a really good job in like kind of red herring red herringing her a good way of putting it. Yeah, or like I guess yeah, she had a really good heel turn as well if you're familiar at all with wrestling. Yes, <laughs> the wrestling, you know, the term from wrestling, if you're a face, you're a good guy. If you're a heel, you're a bad guy. And at some point in the story, you have a heel turn where like a bad guy can turn good or a good guy can go bad. And so, yeah, Rose has like quite the heel turn where we discover. And I think the part you're talking about before he discovers her like stash of photographs, Luke, is where I started being like, oh, no, not Rose, too. Mm-hmm. And and then, of course, when she's taking forever to find the keys, I'm like, oh, shit, Rose, Rose is in on it. And it was yeah. at that point, like, I was, I had to watch this movie in actually two chunks because <laughs> it took me forever. I downloaded it off of YouTube or I, I bought, I rented it on YouTube. And then I was watching it and I got to about the hour mark where it's really starting to, to get weird like even more weird and then i had to go out and do something and like i had to take care of some stuff and and i ran out of time and then i didn't get back to it until like probably 11 o'clock last night to Mm. like finish up the last half an hour and so i got to sit with this with this scene in my in my viewing of it it was like rose is looking for the keys and pause and seven hours later (laughs) now she still can't find the keys like (laughs) what a time to stop (laughs) I know, so and it just like it froze, and then like I I tried to re like restream it from my phone to my TV. This is all twenty first century problems, of course, but mm. it like wouldn't reload, and then it started from the beginning, and I was like, I'll just have to get back and do this later. So I'm glad I could could finish it off, and it was, but it was good. As opposed to twentieth century problems, like people not taking vaccinations. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing new under Did the you say sun. Twentieth or twenty first. Well, that's the um, the ambiguity <laughs> yeah. is the joke. <laughs> Nothing new under the sun, ah. Billy. Nothing new under the sun. Nothing new under the sun. Yeah, okay, that's funny. I will, I will, I know uh, the whole Rose character part is that one of my favorite parts of this movie, so I might return to it, but I think one of the great, one of the geniuses of this film is Rose's ambiguity and how, because she is kind of likable, I think even passively, you give her the benefit of the doubt along the way. And Jordan Peele just wrote this script where she's just a little bit above suspicion in every little Mm -hmm. turn, right? Like every little turn, she's like the least weird person in the room of of everyone who is could be a villain. 
she's with Chris when they go on the walk when the auction happens, right? So it's like there's something plausible about her being duped as well. Maybe not totally plausible in retrospect, but if you can put yourself in the mind of what it's like to not know the twist, you're like, oh yeah, it just feels like she's not in on this somehow. Which is just, I think he wrote a great script that Allison Williams nailed in that character. Yeah, she did a great job. And like, you know, we see her being a good ally at the start because when they're driving down and the deer jumps out and hits the car, which was the first like actually really startling scene for me was that that deer getting hit by the car that really freaked me out. And then there's that confrontation with the cop. And, you know, we're all living in this world where we've seen so much tragedy uh, at the hands of the police because of, you know, innocent black people getting getting killed and stuff. So we're like, oh shit, like this cop is going to be here and you know, we're primed to have it not go well. You know, it's not going to be a good thing. And then that also pays off right at the very end of the, the end of the movie. But you know, the cop asks Chris for his license, even though he wasn't driving. And she's like, you know, she stands up for him. She's like, well, you don't need to see his license. Like, why are you interrogating my boyfriend? He didn't have anything to do with it. When I saw that scene for the first time of like him, her standing up for him about like, you know, obviously the undertone is like the police officer is discriminating against Chris because he's black and like, you know, he's I wouldn't say it's an undertone. I'd say it's the yeah, tone. It's, yeah. <laughs> but then like I, I found it like really the part of that scene that I found really funny is the way she stood up for him is like she was so she wasn't like nice about it. She was kind of like, this is bullshit. Not very aggressive, but like, but like pretty passionately standing up for him. But yeah. then it's like, I don't know. It's like, is it is it because she's white that she's able to be brave like this in front of a police officer? Like, guaranteed, if it was two black guys driving that, and then like the, the cop asked the other black guy for his license, the first black guy would have been like, no, this is fucking bullshit. He wasn't driving. It was like, it's like, you know, we're going to comply true, yeah. because we know what's going to happen if we don't. So it's like, I don't know, just another another little piece of, you know, Jordan Peele showing, you know, the 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 unsaid power, I guess, that white people have in society is that they're able to talk to police officers in that way without fear of any consequences. If it was a black woman driving, like, yeah, she wouldn't have been able to talk to a cop like that, almost certainly. And I think you're totally right. I think you're totally, totally right. Yeah, so that, that scene primes you to to remember that, and this is kind of the, the, the trope, uh, another one of the horror movie tropes is like by the time the the people who are being pursued by the killer or the the murderer or whatever find the police then they're safe because the police are gonna save them and stuff and we're primed to be like oh right that's maybe not what's going to happen in this one and so then at the very very end of the movie when we see the sirens it's not like i was not feeling relief at that moment i was like uh-oh there's this you know, black guy all covered in blood and a bunch of dead white people like this is not going to go well if the police are involved. And there was actually like an alternate ending to this movie where uh, so the very this is a spoiler for the very end of the movie, but his buddy Rod saves him in a TSA vehicle and they get away. But it, there's an alternate ending shot where it is the police that come and he gets arrested and Chris ends up in jail. And like the last scene of the movie is Chris talking to Rod through the like prison phone. And him saying, like, yeah, I have to be in, I got caught, I'm in jail, but at least I stopped this one thing. And Jordan Peele took that part, took that ending out of the movie because he wanted it to be, like, a bit of a triumph moment and have Chris go on and be the hero. Well, Chris is definitely the hero of the movie. 
There yeah, are no, yeah. there are no two ways about that. <laughs> I mean, you could say Rod. Yeah, but well, Rod is Rod is the sidekick hero. Rod is definitely the sidekick. Yeah, like uh, um, Chris is Batman and Rod is Robin. <laughs> Rodbin. Rodbin. Yes. <laughs> But anyway, they so they, they, they get to the house and they meet the parents and we get that awkward inter- interaction where it's like, is this guy being awkward because Chris is black? Because Chris is Allison's boyfriend who they're meeting for the first time? Because, you know, like, is it is it awkward dad or is it like awkward trying not to be racist or is it trying to be like, look, proving how woke I am by like... Being look super how cool. I'm, I can't be racist because look how unracist I am, you know? It, exactly, yeah. Just like, the, no, 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 I couldn't be racist. I would have voted for Obama a third time if I could. And he <laughs> brings that in so many times. And it's just that, like, it's just that sense of being like, see, look, yeah, see, look, I'm not, I'm not racist because I'm performing this non-racial, non-racist attitude. And it's just like... Okay, I'm on edge. Luke, you're ready to jump in. <laughs> yeah, I think I think what you're pointing out there is one of the great themes of this movie, maybe the best. And it's it's basically so much of this movie works because of ambiguity. The characters, and especially Chris, as it turns out, only Chris, but we as the audience don't know it's only Chris experiencing this until the end feels like all the characters don't really know what to say or what's going on because they don't know the nature of their interaction. They don't know it. Mm. Like Chris doesn't know if this is a boyfriend thing or a race thing, or I would even argue, and I think I might make this point later, a class thing. This is a family in Mm. upstate New York at a mansion, right? There is, this is, this is American aristocracy par excellence, right? So, so there is just kind of this, like obviously when i watched the way that the dad behaved i think his name was dean bradley whitford's character when i watched him behave i was like this is a guy who talks this is this is what he imagines normal people talk about and talk like and he's just (laughs) so bad at it because he's trying to do it because he he's trying to like show chris that he's cool but he's never spent a day with anyone who makes under five hundred thousand dollars a year in his life so he doesn't actually know what people are like who don't make that much money and so you just and, and 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 from Chris's point of view, you're getting all of this deluge of like, I'm trying to be polite. I don't know if that was an intentional insult or just a, a lack of a, a piece of ignorance. I don't know if he said that because I'm Rose's boyfriend or because I'm a smoker even, right? Like that is a big mm. part of what's... So like, I, I want to just introduce this theme here to say like, I think so much of the genius of this film is based on the fact that Chris has an instinct, but then there's a social norm that's going against his instinct, and he doesn't quite know how to resolve that. And so it's just putting him in this kind of like psychological middle ground. And and that happens overtly with the kind of conversations that he has with the other black people on at the mansion, right? Like he's never more confused than when he's talking to Walter or Georgina or Logan, it turns out, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and so I just... Confusion and ambiguity play a big role in how well this movie works. 
and I think that theme of that 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 type of gaslighting is kind of what you're talking about. Like I thought that there was there's this sort of, like levels and levels and levels of gaslighting. Like Chris knows in his guts something is wrong. Like he can mm-hmm. sense that something is not quite right, and then he's being gaslit like o- overtly by people being like. No, no, I would have voted for Obama a third time. Like, look how great I am. <laughs> He's being gaslit by Georgina when he says, like, hey, what's up with people? And she's just like, no, no, no. Like, there's nothing wrong here, right? Like, that sort of direct gaslighting, even when... You know, he's being gaslit by Rose, as it turns out, when he's like, I think something's weird and like your parents are weird. And she's like, no, there's nothing like there's nothing wrong. Like, are you sure that's what they said? You know, and then he's even like gaslighting himself a little bit again by having these ambiguities of, yeah, is he because he doesn't want to be rude, right? He doesn't want to be rude. He doesn't he doesn't want to like misinterpret a benign comment as a malicious one. Right, so he's still like in the tact game, but he's feeling he gets more and more weirded out by the tact game, which is really, really fascinating. Yeah, so good. That's like his interaction with Dean is weird, and then his interaction with Missy is also very strange because she's like this. Oh, I'm a, a therapist, but I also do hypnotism, which is like objectively a weird thing to just sort of like drop in randomly, and the way they like find the they find the entrance is Chris is a smoker and Dean's like, Oh, well my, you know, Missy cured me of that with like hypnotism. And he's like, no, I don't want to get hypnotized by you lady. And she's like, okay, fair. And then does it anyway later on. And like, she's just, she's just like that smiling evil the whole time where like, you know, she's quieter than Dean. Who's a little bit more bombastic and she's just like waiting for her chance to like get him alone when she can just sort of like subtly start this hypnotism process and get him uh, entranced later on. Here's a fun cultural nugget. I, I remember reading about around when Get Get Out came out because the actress, Missy is the mom, right? Was that her name? Yep. Yes. Okay. So the actress who plays Missy, whose name is Carolyn Keener. And she is in a movie from the 90s called Being John Malkovich. And Being John Malkovich Mm. is a movie about people who can get into the head of John Malkovich through this like hole in the wall, basically kind of thing. So essentially it's a movie where you get into someone's head. So there was this whole internet theory on Reddit and stuff about how being John Malkovich and Get Out are in the same universe because Carolyn Keener <laughs> has learned from being John Malkovich this hypnotism to get in people's heads in the same way. Like it, it, it obviously it wasn't Jordan Peele's intention. They, there was no collusion no. here, but it was just a fun way that they connected ideas between movies that were like 20 years apart because the same actress was in both. So I just I wanted to put that out there because I know cultural references are fun to the two of you. I love I love that. And I love when people have like giant, broad, paper thin reasonings for movies <laughs> yeah, to be in the same yeah. universe or or characters to go through. Like there's one there's one like they've they've written essays on how all the Pixar movies are in the same timeline and it goes mm. from like Toy Story into like it's just Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a very deep dive read, but but I do love fan theories. They're they're some <laughs> of the most creative batshit stuff that's out there on the internet. Yeah, and if and if um, any listener, if you haven't seen Being John Malkovich, you should watch it. It's a really weird movie, 
and it's like it's got John Cusack and Cameron Diaz and Carolyn Keener and John Malkovich. It's so weird, but it's very, very good. Very enjoyable. So I would recommend it. Yeah, I think I did see it once, but I was probably too young to really understand. Mm-hmm. I should revisit it. But yeah. I guess the, the only other family member we haven't met to this point is brother Jeremy, who is also just like the most... Even even amongst you know Dean and Missy, they're off putting and weird, and it's like, is this because they're you know they don't know how to deal with me as a as a boyfriend or whatever? But then Jeremy comes and he's just like aggressive, and shitty and privileged, and just the symbolism of him standing in front of a door in a polo sweater with a lacrosse stick is like, here is more like rich white privilege, like the the very epitome of rich white privilege is is Jeremy's character in in this movie, I think. What, what do we think about him? I thought, I thought like going off on your point, I thought the biggest just white privilege thing was just like the lake house. Okay. It's just like <laughs> growing, growing up, there were a lot of like kids in my school and grade that would be like, Oh yeah, I spent, I spent the summer at my cabin or I'm going to my cabin. And it was always like a weird thing to me. Cause just like, like do, does every white person on earth have a cabin? Like, <laughs> We don't have fucking cabins. Like we stay at home, and then we go on vacation. And we live in a hotel. Like, <laughs> like it was just so. It's so, it's such a bizarre concept to me. Is like owning a cabin that you don't live in for, you know, twenty like three hundred sixty five days of the year. It's like, yeah, I thought that was funny. <laughs> so it's just like in this movie, it's like of course they they have a like a lakeside property that they live in, and there's no one within like like anywhere miles close and miles, or within yeah. here yeah miles and miles so uh, i don't know sorry clarification question like was there an additional lake house on top of like the mansion that they lived in is that what you're talking about no no no. just like that just in general just like of course oh, like, they live in this place out of the city and like there's no one around and well to be, big beautiful property to be fair alex i believe that was just their house <laughs> yeah but it's it's like it's the difference between them having to live in the city in an apartment and well, being yeah, able to yeah, live yeah. upstate on a, on course, an acreage or something. Course, yeah. 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 Which again, I think is a big, I think there is a lot of class critique in this film. Yeah. I, I, I think like, okay. So from, from about grade one to about grade three, I thought every single white family just had a cabin. <laughs> Cause that's like anyone who ever told me that they're going to their cabin or they're visiting their cabin or they're going to the gra- their grandma's cabin. <laughs> they were all white kids. So I remember going home one day and being like, mom, where's our cabin? And she's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, our cabin, you know, the one where, you know, we go visit over the summer. She's like, no, we're staying here. We don't, we can't afford to do that. I'm like, but, but all my friends have cabins. Why can't we have a cabin? And that's when, like, I think starting then was like kind of the reality is like, you know, just here in Canada, it's, if you have a cabin, 95% of the time you're going to be white. (laughs) Yeah. As a... Well, as a person who has a family cabin up at a, a lake house in, <laughs> in Alberta, well, I can confirm that, at least for this podcast. <laughs> One third of the hosts have a cabin. Yeah. Yeah, you're right, though, Alex. It is it is a very privileged thing to be able to have, like, another house that you go to sometimes. And it's definitely, it de- it's definitely like when Jordan Peele was writing this movie, it was like, what is the most fish out of water we can put, Chris? And a big fancy house in upstate New York is the most like that like there it is there's no water sorry fish good luck i guess and then yeah but then we see we see brother at the dinner table who's like he wants to wrestle chris 
and wants to like to prove like oh i want to train you and bring out the beast and like make you like really strong because you know he talks about his genetics and his like his makeup and his athleticism and how like he'd be a great mma fighter and it's just like again it's like really weird like it yeah this guy's being is he is he just saying that because i'm black and he thinks like i'm good at sports well, it kind of links back to when Dean's giving Chris like a tour of the house, and he's like, "This is my, this is my dad." His claim mm, of fame yes. was he he lost to Jesse Owens <laughs> for the national team. It's like, well, all three of the family members that aren't Rose are being forthrightly per- like an overly personal on first meeting, right? This is which adds to the ambiguity. Is like that jeremy missy and dean are all saying things that are just like a little bit too friendly and a little bit too nosy that for anyone to be asking out of the gate right like you just like common courtesy necessitates you don't ask like things about your genetics or your like just by a lot you don't ask things about people about their bodies the first time you met the meet them like it's just not it's not how you would treat another person. And and so us, the audience and Chris, the character is like mentally going through like a Rolodex of like different reasons for why they're being this out that themselves tactfully out of water, right? Like the whole Armitage family is like just so far removed from like what we might consider, I guess, middle-class manners that you you get the sense that maybe they just don't know that you don't talk to people like this because they never talk to people <laughs> basically it, this so this is this kind of actually reminds me a little bit especially the dinner scene reminds me a, like quite a bit of a personal experience of mine and i don't <laughs> want this like misconstrued misconstrued in any way saying like like my family that i ate dinner with was anything like the Ar- armitages because they weren't they were lovely and i would go back i'm very happy to hear that are you sure you're not hypnotized i'm I'm fairly certain (laughs) all right tell your story but like a mutual friend of ours mark i went over he he invited me over for christmas dinner with his family once and it was awesome it was probably the best christmas i've ever had like it was everything i could have ever wished for in a christmas like the beautiful like wonderful meal we had a Christmas walk in the neighborhood. We watched like Christmas Day basketball and it was all that. And his parents were so nice. But it, it was kind of funny because like I, I go in and we're like, we're just I'm just chatting with his dad and his mom and his dad's like so out like this wasn't right away. But like in the probably in the middle of the like the, of the night, he's like, so Alex, yeah, you watch Crazy Rich Asians yet? <laughs> 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 and like there, it's just like comments kind of like that where it's like, I know it's good intentioned and I know you're trying to relate and like, you know, like make, make me feel welcome. But it's, it, it's funny because I don't need that. I don't yeah. need you to do that to make me feel welcome. It's like, oh, Alex, you're really into basketball. Like, how did you get into that? <laughs> like, well, I, I play, I played at school when, at recess time. You know, it's, it's just stuff like that, that I, I totally related to Chris whenever, yeah. you know, in the movie, when people were asking him those kinds of questions and things it's like, yeah. I know you're being nice and like because I know because I, I can tell that it's from a genuine place that I'm gonna I'm gonna like go along with this and answer these questions genuinely because like maybe you are really curious and I, I don't have a problem answering this but like if it was coming from people that I didn't trust or like that I had weird feelings about I'd be like 
why are you asking me if I've seen Crazy Rich Asians? That wasn't even the biggest film this year. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. like yeah, why is that one? Like, why didn't you ask me if I saw Star Wars or something? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah, no, so there's like there's so, yeah. o- there's obviously this social phenomenon of when like a middle-aged person kind of b- blindly walks headfirst into a, a stereotype question or a dumb question yeah. that like they probably don't know that they've trampled on like a more commonly understood piece of etiquette in a modern world and they're just like oh did you see crazy rich asians alex you know that kind of thing and, and it's kind of funny because there's a scene i i caught it this time i don't know if i remember catching it the first time but I think it's Dean is asking Chris if he plays sports. So he's like, you know, like basketball or or baseball. <laughs> like, he catches himself. Like he, he kind of, there's like, he doesn't make it that huge, but there's like a little delay between asking about basketball and then baseball. No, no, no. Just no, to make sure he, he asks about all of them. He, he says two sports first. And then Chris says that he plays basketball, but it's kind of like the same thing where he's like, I, I think he says, he says baseball is one, and I think maybe he says soccer or something. Like it seems also that he's like, oh, okay, I know okay, yeah. I can't just ask, I can't just ask this black guy if he plays basketball because that's a stereotype. Right. So I'll start by going one farther and saying, uh, do you play soccer or baseball? <laughs> but and I then, also, like, but I all, <laughs> but I also can't ask if he plays polo. I can't, or, yeah, <laughs> or lawn bowling because then I it's can't clear say lacrosse. Try, <laughs> yeah, because then it's clear yeah. I'm just trying to be. Non-confrontational. Yeah. <laughs> I'll take um, these middle yeah. sports. It would have been like, so Alex, do you play sports like pool or swimming? <laughs> yeah, I play ping pong. <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> oh, so good. Okay. I think, yeah, that was like, this is part of the genius of the script. There's just so many of these little comments yeah. that like, if you're like, I think regardless of the kind of background that you are, you're going to pick up on this stuff. Because like, you know, as a person of color, I picked up on all the things that would have made Chris feel uncomfortable because I, yeah. I felt th- I, I, I totally related to that in like with him being in a room full of white people and being asked these questions. But I'm sure, you know, like the two of you were able to pick up on like certain bits of dialogue that was like, mm. oh, yeah, like white people do say that. And that, yeah, that is a weird thing to say. And it's just like it's I think yeah. it's just interesting that you don't have to be. Like any anyone can understand just like the absurdity of this kind of dialogue, which is such a great like shows how great this film well, was written. I have a question for you then, Alex. Would you have been? Uh, would you be more annoyed with like a total ignoramus asking you these questions, or someone like Dean who just seems to be asking them to try and ingratiate himself to you? Like, which one would you find more annoying? Oh, ignoratus, one hundred percent. I think I made a note about this, or like when I was watching the movie, it's just like. I wrote polite racism is just as bad. Mm. No, but I mean like someone, like let's say, I don't want to use Mark's dad as an example, like someone because they have no idea that it's not polite, (laughs) because they have no idea that it's kind of a weird question to ask you, they just genuinely, it occurs to them. Like someone's like, oh, do you like, have you seen Crazy Rich Asians versus someone who's like, oh man, you know what? I watch Crazy Rich Asians, so I get it. I'm with you. You know, like which one is more annoying? Yeah, no, no. (laughs) The, the second one's way more annoying. Yeah, like, yeah. and that that that, t- that ties into my point. I think I think if you're like if you're truly ignorant to the fact, um, I I personally I don't have a problem explaining, and right, telling you so that you can learn. But let's say you are educated and you do understand, but you're just saying it to make to try and make me feel better or more involved or whatever. 
I think that's that's the polite racism I'm talking about is being so aware being so aware that I'm I don't fit in with you that you're trying to say things where yeah, I will yeah, yeah. fit in. That's yeah. so annoying to that's me. That's why Dean is the fucking worst. Like Dean is just the fucking worst. Yeah, Dean's the worst. But yeah, disclaimer, Mark's family is the best and I will have Christmas <laughs> dinner with them anytime. It was the best Christmas I've ever had. Yes, we love Mark's family. I mean, that sparked a parallel in my own life was when the guy was talking about golfing and how he knew Tiger. Like, oh, I know Tiger. I know Tiger Woods. <laughs> and like, he's like talking to Chris because like, oh, I know I'll talk about the black golfer that I know because I can talk to this guy. And it reminded me of uh, recently when Elliot Page came out as trans on uh, over Instagram. And, you know, he said, hi, I'm Elliot. My pronouns are he, they. And I had so many people send me that article on Instagram being like, and from like, uh, you know, well, well-intentioned cis people being like, oh, Billy, I thought you'd want to see this. Like, look, another trans person. Like, uh, okay, thank you. Yes. Yeah, I, I saw it. That was, that was great. And, even, you know, my experience is nowhere close to like what Chris had to experience or what anybody uh, who is a person of color has to experience. But it was just funny to be like, yeah. When somebody is like, oh, okay, I know this one thing about you. Like, I will talk about trans, a trans person I know because you are also trans. So therefore we can talk about that. It was just like very, I was like, okay, I've, I've seen this happen. I can, I can get, I can get behind Chris's, get in Chris's shoes on this one. Cause it kind of essentializes you or it essentializes Chris, right? It boils him down to mm. his skin color. Yeah. You know, yeah. like. As opposed to, like, there's completely normal conversations you could have with Chris if he liked golf and you bring up the fact that Tiger Woods is your favorite golfer and you like his style or, like, his race has nothing to do with him as a golfer, right? I mean, and as we learn, Chris's passion is photography. So you can have have a totally – yeah, that's a great point, Billy. Like, just – yeah, it, in boring philosophical terms, that would be, like, essentializing you to one attribute, right? And so, you know, like – I mean, there's no reason why you wouldn't be interested in Elliot Page's transition, but the fact that you would necessarily be more interested than anyone else, and so all of the <laughs> yeah. information must go to you first, is itself its own. It's it's its own kind of assumption, I think. Yeah, and mm-hmm. and and, it, and, and like viewing you one way. Mm-hmm. It's so it's so absurd. It's like it's it's if I was like, oh Luke, you're oh Luke, your last name is Mason. Oh, I. So do you know the colonel? Has he ever told you about his 11 spices and herbs? You know, it's 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 just like because you're white, you must automatically know what I'm talking about because you're black, you must automatically know a, what it is. Is that a I'm KFC? About. You know, it's like yeah, yeah. I don't know. The, the colonel's white, right? Like, he is white. Well, but it's like yeah, oh, just... you're you're trans, you're going to automatically like, you know, like it's it's yeah. a very disingenuous way of connecting with people. Yeah. Yeah, and, it, and yeah. it's like the it's like that that well-intentioned like like I want to I want to do a good job and I don't want to mess this up is like it's great and it's very lovely to see people trying but it's also like after a point you know I bet Chris was like why has nobody talked to me about the fact that I'm carrying this gigantic camera around like that's right. just as noticeable as the color of his skin and mm-hmm. nobody talks to him about like oh what are you taking photos of or you talk everyone is like oh are you like a good golfer are you like athletic do you you know, like how is well. <laughs> having sex with your white girlfriend? And it's like, yeah, like, yeah. nobody's These absurdly just, personal like, questions. You know? <laughs> 
And, yeah. and obviously yeah. in the movie, we learn none of these people are actually well-intentioned. They're just trying to learn oh, yeah. things about him. <laughs> but I think in real life, there's an important point to be made here of just, I think it's it's less and less excusable to not think about how you talk to other people. And so even though I'm sure everyone is at some level well-intentioned to being like, oh, here's this thing. Oh, you know, uh, I'm down with Obama kind of thing to Chris. You can say that's well-intentioned, but I think at some point you just have to say, well, no, it's you just got to be better than that, <laughs> right? You're, you're making your own fake thing here, right? You're, you're, you're so hyper aware of, I don't know, trying to be a certain way that you're treating a person in another way that's just completely one-dimensional, from a different direction. And that might not be as bad as the original thing, but it's still not the ideal. It's not even close. And so at some point, that intention, I think, also needs to be called into question for conversation around how you would go about Mm -hmm. even treating a person, you know? So maybe that'll be my controversial point of the podcast. But I think even just socially, it's there's there's less and less excuse to be, quote unquote, well-intentioned and clueless. Right. 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 If if you are well-intentioned, you should be clueful before you do anything, right? Exactly. A really a truly like vibrantly well-intentioned person is going to like be able to think about more than one or two or three three things about you, accentuate those things as your entire identity and say, "Oh, you must love this other thing because there's like some sort of random connection through this one attribute that I ha- I have chosen to essentialize you with." Yeah. Yeah. You know? So, my two cents there. For sure. And it's a it's a tough conversation to have. And it, de- it definitely, this movie makes you think about your interactions and, like, the way you approach people as well. Like, I know I was thinking a lot about just, like, how I would want to, like, talk to people and how I want people to talk to me. And it's, I don't know, I don't know, listeners, if you can tell that we uh, really like this movie and think you should watch it. Like, I hope that's, uh, <laughs> hope that's coming through by this point. Mm-hmm. Well, because it's a bit of a satire. It's not just a horror movie, right? It's a bit of a satire. It's absolutely a satire. Yeah, like like I was saying, this movie is funny. It's really funny to me to just, like... Because after you watch the movie, if you just dissect it on a base level, you'd be like, oh, this movie is absolutely absurd. Like, transplanting mm-hmm. brains and putting white white people's brains in black people's bodies and whatever. Yeah. It's like, it's absurd. It's crazy. But then when you think about it, like, on a deeper level, which is hopefully what we're doing now, it's like is 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 the truth really that absurd like there's there's an element of truth to this and you know the satire bit it's like this is all these are all things that really happen and it really makes everybody kind of have to examine themselves further and how they how they deal with subjects like this and for sure talk to people and what they prioritize in others yeah so to 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 get back onto the onto the the plot of the party (laughs) to the movie we're talking about there's there's no like I don't know there's no way to stand up two wheel broom our way out of this one I think easily but um, oh, uh, do we want to talk about the night before the party though yeah yeah go ahead go ahead you know after dinner they go to bed and, and Chris is like that was kind of weird like but whatever mm. it's like and then was it Rose is like being like oh like my family's like I don't remember exactly but it was like oh they're so weird like I hate it they're so white and all this stuff and like. You know, that's more trying to make the audience feel like, yeah, Rose is on, Rose is on Chris's side and all that. And then it's they go to insidious bed and he wakes gaslighting. up. Yeah. Well, and it makes Chris less suspicious of Rose. Exactly, yeah. yeah. 
and he wakes up he he wants to go outside for a smoke because you know smokers gotta smoke nothing Mm. wrong with that and when he goes out of the house or he, he walks downstairs and he sees georgina who is you know the the house maid i guess you could say like the house taker the home taker Kim? yeah the yeah the home the home i can't think What's... of the word the the ho- housekeeper housekeeper that's the yeah, word there yeah there you go and she's just like being she's been weird this whole time and all that which also kind of a, the, way back in the scene before when dean's kind of showing chris around the house it's like my grandmother loved this so like we we're keeping it here forever and it shows it's it's like a nice foreshadowing piece because you show georgina there right away and you later do find out that she's the grandma yeah but yeah he goes outside and he's like he's he he wants to smoke but then he sees who is it warren is it warren walter shit i don't remember that guy's walter walter yeah and he's like just yeah it's walter it is walter he's just sprinting out of the woods making a beeline for chris and it's just the weirdest thing ever and at the last second he veers off at like a right angle and it's just like Mm -hmm. what the fuck yeah Yeah. so uncanny yeah that was just such so many uncanny parts to this film and it's like it i i think i think those two things make make you as the audience feel even more nervous for chris Mm -hmm. because like at this point, there's a, like a lot of like you, you feel a lot of empathy towards Chris because oh Rose's white family is kind of making him feel uncomfortable and saying all these things. But now all the black people aren't even like able to like Chris isn't even able to relate to them. So now you're really feeling how isolated he is up in this like you know late late cabin house thing. And then he goes back in and he sees Missy and then that's like the hypnot the first hypnotism scene. Well, and okay, he gets and sent how- to the sunken place. How f- yeah, those that all the hypnotism scenes are so good. But you just write. How about this for great narrative parallelism? The only person at this whole party that Chris bonds with is the guy that's going to actually end up who buys his brain to transplant with him. Like that's the only yeah. guy he, he has a legitimate conversation with, where he feels like he's talking to another human being who's treating him like a human being. Yeah, it's just so so perfect. But just yeah, just to to feel the isolation of Chris is like yeah, even he's he's around all these white people who are trying way too hard, and he's like a little bit off putting because that can be very exhausting. And then he's also like the only other people who look like him are also acting very strange and unlike, like not like unlike a person, like they're acting like a robot. And it was at this point because I was trying to figure out what it was. Like what happened? I thought it was like a weird form of like 21st century hypnotized slavery thing and made even more prevalent when we see uh, Andre, who is going by the name Logan at the at the party, who is another uh, who is, the you know, Lakeith Stanfield, who was kidnapped at the start of the movie, which has been like six months. And he's with this woman who's way older than him. And, you know, we get the, the scenes of his buddy Rod being like, it's, it's sex slaves. It's, they're, they're, they're hypnotizing people to be sex slaves. <laughs> yeah. And so I thought, I thought like, okay, Rod is figuring it out. This is where I'm going. I thought it was like a weird sort of hypnotize them into being like automatons back into like a slavery mode. And even like Logan or Andre had this, had a number three, like a Roman numeral three tattooed behind his ear in the shot. And I thought that was like a subtle hint to like, oh, here is like a a brand or like this is, he is number three. And so I was like, okay, this is like a Stepford Wives brainwashing, you know, robot maybe thing. And and so that's where I- Don't forget the sex slaves. 
Yeah, yeah, the sex life. You weren't like, far I was like, off. Okay, so <laughs> it wasn't far off. And so, you know, when we saw him and then we 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 saw him try to take the, like, sneaky photo of of him to, to send to Rod and then the flash, like, scrambles the brains of Andre. I, I was like, okay, so there's some conditioning. We, we, we know it's brainwashing. Is it slavery? Is it, like, what's happening to them? And I was, I don't know, were, 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 were either of you on that same track the first time you saw this movie? Yeah, something something like that. Like definitely I was like, oh, there's like the the trans the transplant thing was like the last thing on my mind. So definitely like I, I was putting links between, you know, slavery and hypnotism. Very similar to you as well, the first time I watched the movie. Yeah, I would say my my predominant thought about what was happening and I don't think it's far off. I actually would make the point that I felt like it was like a gonna be a cult, actually. Like this was a bit of a cult mm. movie. And so that is that that Stepford Wives element. And I would argue that every person at this party is in a cult. This is this is definitely mm, Well, like... they say it's a cult. It's <laughs> yeah. the cult of... Cayuga, oh, shit, what is it, it called? Cayugula? Something like that. Co- coagula. There the cult is. of Coagula. It was, yeah. yeah. And so it was It was a cult. But yeah, you were, I guess, closest. <laughs> well, it's just like... <laughs> the, the, the scene cult is the deadliest cult. Yeah. So yeah, you definitely like... <laughs> That's such a great scene to have the name of your movie be in just like this random kind of accentuated part that's really different. Like we have a character that's just been totally placid and now is totally agitated because of a picture being taken of his eyes. It's also good foreshadowing for how Chris can stop Walter later in the movie. Yeah. So it's like all that. And then just that get out that that moment with Andre's character there. It was yeah, like, yeah, you're trying to put it together and you're like, that scene you're like okay yeah something is going on with these black people on the premises that hasn't Mm -hmm. affected chris yet but they're working on it and i think it was really smart of the movie and jordan peele to make it that it's only like a couple minutes later where we see the auction so we're like Mm -hmm. confirmed that all these people are evil or bad like we know they're the bad guys we don't know like we're on the fence they're weird but no they're the bad guys so it also that actually also tricks us from guessing the rose twist as well i would say so yeah just more more genius of the film so that as the audience we're not marinating very long with our okay that was weird why did he say get out to oh no they're bad oh okay mystery solved well not quite some of it but not all of it yet just great filmmaking i mean and yeah and speaking of that great filmmaking i think this is a great point to talk about like the acting and some of the performances and the staging oh. of the shots because just like the whole first act and up to the party i think before we we know overtly something is well we know something is wrong the whole time but before like shit really kicks off when anytime there's like shots of Chris and another person talking the way it's framed so often is like the person who's talking to Chris is almost, they almost seem like they're looming over him. They're like, they're shot from a little bit like a lower angle. So they kind of Mm, like seem to loom over Chris's, Chris is always shot from like, kind of like he's, he has to look up a little bit and it feels very like, it feels very predatory. Like anytime he's in a conversation They're They're like, they're really, really close to the screen and you get the sense of closeness. Like I'm thinking Jeremy at the, the dinner table when he's talking, like he's really close to the camera and you get this sense that he is like in your face and he's in your personal space. And you're really just like, I need you to back up a minute. Cause you're like a little bit close to me. And so that like the way that was directed was 
amazing. And then also the acting of like Georgina and Walter of that just like completely dead eyes and like big cheery smile like that was so effective. And like anytime Georgina is like talking, like you can see her eyes are just like crying out a hundred percent of the time, but she has this big, like waxy dead smile on. And it's just like, Oh, they, these actors are just killing it. Like just chef's kiss. Mwah. I don't know if you want to elaborate on that, but there wasn't a bad performance in this movie. Everybody was so good. So, so good. I would say Chris was the best, but everybody else was yeah. so, or Daniel Kaluuya. Cause like just the way he would, the way he would kind of shrug off, but also make it known that he was annoyed by what was happening. Like in one fell swoop, like just the way he'd hold his shoulders and like the way he'd like exhale even, you could tell he was annoyed with the way that people were talking to him, but he was using all of his self-control to not make a big deal about it. Like just mm-hmm. so, such great physical acting by him. And like Rose making or Allison Williams making himself likable. Like everybody just did such a great, like I fucking hated Jeremy the second he was on screen until (laughs) the end, like every single moment he played, he played a perfect entitled douchebag, right? Yep. The, the parents played the world, the weary parents of an entitled douchebag that they still love for some reason that they can't help. Yeah. You know, just like every little, every, the, the, if only we could give them away, right? The, yeah. the, the nuance of everyone's feelings in this movie was palpable. And that was one of the best parts about it, I think. Yeah, just uh, Daniel Kaluuya, when, when he's like being hypnotized, you know, he's frozen, but just the amount of expression and emotion you see from his eyes mm. and just his face, even though he's not f- moving, you know, especially when he talks about, you know, his like flashbacks to when his mom got hit by like killed by in a hit and run and he's like there's tears coming out of his eyes just like incredible display of emotion from being tied down to a chair yeah and it was great it was amazing and then we got to see his like his little like hypnotism like panic scratching was like a trigger i think when you know when his mom died and he got paralyzed because he didn't know what to do and he had that sort of conversation with rose but his little, the way they like set up that he scratched when he was hypnotized, like unconsciously, and then that ends up being what can help him, like, get out, you know, of the 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 bondage that he's in, you know, down in the basement. Not that, not the fun kind of bondage, the bad kind. Um. <laughs> yeah, bad bondage. But yeah, just amazing, amazing performances and. You know, the turn for Rose when she goes from being good to bad, like just like her whole face changes and just like you can tell that she's like, yep, I dropped I dropped the mask. And then she's just like so calm. And again, she you get the sense that, you know, her job, whatever in this family is like, bring them here, get them to this stage and then you're done. And she has nothing to do with the surgery, the the preparation, the like further brainwashing. She's like up in her room, listening to her music, having her like glass of white milk that she's drinking, <laughs> and just like all the pictures are of all the all the black guys she brought home are hung up behind her, like some kind of sick trophy well, and case. Like, yep, that was the whole movie. She's wearing kind of what I would call normal looking clothes, like sweaters or like her mate, and she's wearing makeup, and she's just kind of like. She's made to look like a mid mid twenty something girl, just kind of yeah. like wouldn't stand out. But 
then when she's like in her clinical stage, just white shirt, no makeup, no nonsense. Like her, even her body is straight. She looks more like a robot. She reminded me of like, she would make a great Terminator. (laughs) Just with that, that sort of like placid, uh, plastic, not realism about her, her way. And, you know, just like, and what, what was the song she was listening to again? It was like such a, Blase 80s like a, song, wasn't it? <laughs> you know? It was like a bubblegum, like a v- yeah, very bubblegum yeah. pop, like dance number, mm-hmm. like super fun and happy. But she's like, and she's looking, like when she's looking at, she's Googling, or sorry, because it was, uh, they had Microsoft products. She was using Bing, which was the most right. unbelievable part of the entire movie. Anyone's Chandler using was Bing in this all. movie? But she's looking at, <laughs> she's looking up like NCAA like prospects. For like yeah. next targets, like because they're they're fetishizing these like athletic black bodies that are the peak of what this cult wants to put their brains in, which is just like ugh, ah, ugh, ah. You know the scene where she's panicking for the keys, and then he's like, "Where the?" He's like, "He's like yelling, like where yeah. are the keys? Get the keys!" And then she pulls them out, and then you just see that facial expressions, like, and like you automatically know she's evil. That reminded me so much of an was it Batman? Batman or no, not Batman. The Dark Knight Rises, okay. when Anne Hathaway as Catwoman breaks into Bruce Wayne's manor mm. to steal his fingerprints, and then Bruce Wayne catches her, and she's like, she's so scared, she's like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, and then she like, drop kicks him, and then like, the sudden change in expression from her being like so scared and panicking to being like, I'm in control of the situation, I'm actually knowing what I'm doing, and I'm like, I've been very meticulous in planning of this for so long. It just reminded me of that scene mm, of like yeah. the, the sudden shift in facial expression. I'm yeah. actually the wolf and you're the sheep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The she wolf in her, <laughs> her like package. <laughs> but that's just more great acting from Alison Williams. Hey, she essentially plays two different people in this movie. One for not very mm-hmm. long, but it's still a really impressive. Yeah. Well, I, I think this is kind of like, since we've got to the, the, the point where, He's like, he is fully hypnotized and we see that he's trying to get out and Missy is doing her little hypnotic trigger with the tea, uh, the teaspoon clanking in the teacup and the scraping noise. You know, then he gets into the third act where we find out that it's like a brain surgery procedure. But I think we should talk about that next. But first, I have to say, I really it's one one of those noises that bothers me the most is when you like scrape a fork on a plate or a knife on a plate or like, like that just really triggers the like no feeling in me. So anytime she was playing with her teaspoon and it happened so many times and so repetitively, it was just like, it was just, uh, I was very uncomfortable for the whole scene. And I don't know if either of you get affected by noises like that, but I do like I do for sure. I'm glad I ate before we recorded. It was very annoying. (laughs) It was very annoying. Yeah, the way that is primed, it was, again, it's really well done. I don't think we can actually speak any more highly of this movie, but every little thing is set up to pay off later. Like, as soon as she taps the water glass, I think when Georgina is there, like, you know, we see her, she she has her, her iced tea and she taps the water glass three times, or that she taps the, the glass three times, and Georgina kind of freezes for a second. Like, as soon as we hear those noises, we're like, okay, that is priming you for when she does the teacup hypnotism and then mm-hmm. like later on. So like the, it's not just a random thing. It's like how we, you know, how we really liked in hereditary was there was nothing that was like by accident in this movie. And I feel like get out yeah. was another one of those movies oh, where totally. there's, there's nothing was accidental. 
written and directed by <laughs> creative freedom yeah, you know her, like and, and how the hypnotism again was so well set up because she's like pressuring chris into being hypnotized about quitting smoking and but she's like being a little bit like 10 percent extra about it like a little bit more but we could still have plausible deniability that chris volunteer like she like could frame it or like use words to to make it seem like no no it was your idea to get hypnotized at first chris there's nothing weird here. well yeah was, right like part of that ambiguity i brought up earlier the hypnotism was a great example of that too it's like don't you want to quit smoking chris don't you want to be safe around my daughter don't you want this mm-hmm. it's like that gaslighting but like at such a low level that chris isn't quite sure what to do about it right mm-hmm. it's just so perfect so perfect yeah, and that's the thing. Like, that's that is the subtle gaslighting of yeah. She's framing it as like, I hope you don't smoke around my daughter, and you know she's she's framing this like hypnotism will be good because you love my daughter and this will make you healthier and you can be around my daughter. So it's like it's actually a really good idea that you get hypnotized and kind of like talks mm-hmm. him around into it. And then also the whole time before he even does anything, she's hypnotizing him from go because she's got that teacup going. So smart, right? Like, just because they need him to be able to be hypnotized, but they're not going to be able to... He's going to keep... He's going to get suspicious if they force him. So they got to figure out how to make it, quote-unquote, his idea, right? It's just so smart. Yeah, and they mm-hmm. they don't have Inception dream technology, so they have to no. do it the old-fashioned way. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, these two universes weren't linked, right? No, no, no. We we haven't found a link yet, but we'll get there. Mm. We'll we'll dream one up. Ah. <laughs> so he's in the he's in the basement. He's tied to the chair, and we this is when we learn about uh, Roman Armitage is the the developer of this procedure, this coagula procedure, which they have used to transplant the brains of people into different bodies. In a way for them to live forever. Hey, Billy, take a walk with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it reminded me, I, I, sorry to throw my childhood mentors under the bus. It reminded me so much of like these Jesus videos I would watch as a kid <laughs> where it's like, like the sun is shining at just the right angle. And there's like these beautiful rays and it's like a nice tree. It's like, hey, kids, you know who loves you? Jesus. Here, come. Let's go talk about it. Like, I'm, I'm hamming it up a bit, but not that much. No. Like, I remember watching videos like that, right? And so it's just like, of course this is a cult movie. Or, of course this is a cult recruitment video. Like, it's just got, like, the sunshine, the nice an- the nice plants, and some middle-aged white guy. <laughs> or, like, older white guy who's the leader of every cult that isn't in Japan. <laughs> you know? Like, it's just... <laughs> it's so perfect. That video itself, I was like, ah, yeah, cult video 101. I can spot it right yeah. now. Just Yeah, just like the overly friendly. He looks like he's the friggin' Pepperidge Farms guy. Like, do you want to return <laughs> yeah. to a simpler time when there was buggy rides and <laughs> people used to whistle? And yeah, but it was like this super evil underpinning. Looks like you wanted to say something, Alex. Yeah, I really, 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 really liked that scene where I think it's Jim is the guy who's going to be transplanting his brain into mm, Chris's yeah. body. So you already know that Jim is blind, right? So obviously he 
he can't see anything so he wants he wants chris's body for his eyes and i assume like his photography ability because he is an art dealer Mm -hmm. i guess and then uh, as he's kind of you know this is the monologue bit as he is monologuing and telling chris exactly why this is happening and how uh, and how it's going to happen is he saying like like i i think there I don't remember the exact dialogue, but he was saying, like, I didn't care that you were black or not. I really yeah, just wanted I, your eyes. I don't care what color you are, and, is is what he says. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I thought that was such a, just a powerful statement in relation to, you know, real life, is that for people, I, I mean, for a lot of people in, in North America that definitely aren't racist and don't hold racist feelings or animosity towards a people of different colors. But the fact that they are benefiting from this system, you know, he's he doesn't care what, what that, that Chris is black. He doesn't care what color Chris is. But the fact that he's benefiting from this this cult is again great symbolism about how, you know, there's people that, that aren't racist and don't care about like what color people are, but the fact that they're benefiting from a society that, you know, that puts down people of color in order to bring up others is yeah. that was like that was just that one piece of dialogue was really really powerful to me yeah the the fact that it's like yeah exactly what you're saying i i'm not i'm not racist i don't care what color your skin is but i'm still like i'm still the victor in this exchange you're still going to have your brain removed and mine is going to be put in there and yeah the idea that society the society itself is has the the racial issues and you can be as a person non-racist and and not hold those beliefs but just because of the color of your skin like you have an easier time in society that's a really good that's a really good point alex thumbs up thank you thanks although i i have to assume you mean that at a pretty metaphorical level because i don't think i could compare canadian culture to coagula brain transplant society cult no well, yeah of course, of course it's metaphorical luke <laughs> yeah yeah I don't, I don't know if you're making a joke right now or what but yeah yeah it was metaphor it's it's definitely heightened to be a metaphor but there is still like advantages as being a white person in society that are you know we take for granted even you know it doesn't mean that we we have easy lives necessarily it just means that like the color of our skin isn't something that's holding us back a little bit more and right. it might not even be the color of skin. Yeah. sometimes it's like it's something as simple as your name on a resume yeah you know yeah yeah totally. it's yeah it's it's those you know there's studies where they say like yeah exactly that resume example they've had ones where they they put in a scientific paper that has like they've introduced 12 errors into it like it's deliberately they've got these 12 errors and then they put two different names on it one that sounds white and one that sounds black and they you know when they're grading it it's like oh they find way more of the errors when the name is like a black person's name or a a typical like it would you would assume racially a black person's name they tend to find Mm. more errors and they gloss over ones like there's tons and tons of studies to show the like the bias that exists and it's a mess. So what do you think are some antidotes for something like that specifically though? Like it's that's a really hard I, problem to solve, you know? Yeah, Luke, all I do is spout bullshit into a microphone on a podcast. I don't have the answers <laughs> to anything. Well, I I wonder if part of it would be like making public which like having a database of which companies are better or worse on those kind of things. Yeah, see, I mean, that would take a well, lot I mean, of work. <laughs> It's like I said, I don't have the answers. I can just see problems, <laughs> but it's 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 a tough line to balance, right? Because you you want to be yeah. inclusive and you want to be like, but like 
you can't you can't be inclusive without being able to spot differences and if you're spotting right. differences how far is it is too, is it too far do you know what i mean right like i i definitely don't have the answers there's there's good there's much much smarter and more intel socially intelligent people out there in the world that are more suitable for this conversation <laughs> and i i just i no, don't what? have the answers i can just i i just i can tell you why leaning one way too much or the other is not good yeah yeah, yeah. but I, I i wouldn't know how to solve it i don't have the answers either wow. but i just know that like doesn't mean i don't believe in you alex that's Thanks, true Luke. yeah i mean i don't i also don't after all i am esl <laughs> there it is <laughs> yeah i also don't know what the antidotes are except for like striving to be anti-racist in everything you do and trying to you know i hold space to recognize the privilege that i do have based on the color of my skin and it you know it's better in canada but it's still not great you know there are still biases that exist and there are still problems that people whose skin color is different than mine face that I don't face and just trying to trying to to be you know aware of that and not like I think a lot a lot of the stuff is like being okay with being uncomfortable and and learning and growing has been a big one especially for me in this year I think for a lot of us like just watching the news in 2020 and just seeing all the stuff going down and having to like to be in a in the uncomfortable position to be like okay like yes there is a system that is unfair to a large amount of people and i benefit from that in a way that other people don't and how you know i i just have to be able to hold space and listen when people say like hey actually this is really fucked up for me then the thing to do is like believe them and not try to like devil's advocate or explain otherwise or you know just sort of play the other side because I'm very fond of saying, and actually credit to an ex-girlfriend of mine for saying, the devil doesn't need your advocacy. The devil can pay for way better representation than than you can. So we we don't need any more devil's advocates. So I just think just like being aware that the color of your skin does grant privilege and trying to be a good ally from that. Like I'm going to fuck up and I just try to like do the best I can and not fuck up too badly. Right. If I could, if you could indulge me and I'll, I'll do, I'll, I'll delve into this a little bit more yes, please in do. relation to the movie. So there's a whole other side story with Chris's friend, Rod. Yeah. That we've, we haven't mentioned very much, but Chris is talking to him on the phone. Rod is a TSA agent who's taking care of Chris's dog since he's out of town for the weekend. And Rod is played by little Ray Howery, super, super funny character. Yeah. Real, like really makes the movie funny is, and you know, is the one that's suggesting is like, oh, I bet it's a sex cult or whatever. And as soon as he doesn't hear from Chris anymore, he gets suspicious and he, he, he's doing his own investigation and he looks at the picture and he finds out that, you know, Logan was actually Andre and that he went missing. So he goes with this information to the police and he's talking to this police officer. And obviously it's, he, whatever he's saying is, absurd right like it's like my friend chris is gone uh and i'm pretty sure he's kidnapped into this sex into this cult to be a sex slave and the cop brings in like two other officers and he tells the story again and they all just laugh at him Mm -hmm. so yeah and then kind of tying that into a a little bit of what we were talking about earlier i was having a conversation with some of my friends i think about a month ago about you know being being a person of color and what i want out of you know white people in society is I, I i came to the conclusion is what i came to the conclusion is that i don't need white people to speak for me 
I don't need them to speak on my behalf. I am perfectly capable of doing that myself. And once again, this is just my opinion. There's other people with that have different opinions that are completely valid as well. Yeah, so I don't need them to speak for me. I don't need them to speak for my behalf, but I need them to use their position in society, their power in society to speak with me, if, if, the, if, if that makes sense, Yeah. right? And kind of tying that into the film is like, you know, Rod, his friend is missing. Like, this is a serious case. His friend's missing. He's not answering his phone. And he goes to the police and they don't take him seriously, right? So, and at the same time, I think what was really powerful about that scene is that he's talking to a black police officer yeah. and she doesn't believe him. But, you know, whether or not she's black, she is in that position of power to be able to do something. And she she doesn't... The, the way I saw that scene is that Rod didn't need her to speak for him, didn't need her to speak on behalf of him, but needed to speak up, speak with him when it mattered mm-hmm. at that point, right? Because his he, he wasn't being taken seriously, but it was at that point where she needed to use her power to make what he said be taken seriously so that action could have been taken. Yeah. And that's kind of how I... I, I like that goes back to my conversation about with my friends about how like like i like as as much as i appreciate you for being able to like speak out about issues of race and inequality everybody knows this stuff you don't have to speak about it because you're white but what i do need you to do is stand up with me when i speak out about those things yeah if that makes any kind of sense yeah i love it so let me rephrase that for you, Alex, and yeah. probably say it a bit better. Yeah. <laughs> Go for it, Luke. God damn it, Luke. <laughs> Just joking. Just joking. That's you, know I, you know I'd let you speak for me anytime. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Let good. me Luke explain that for you. Oh, no. We don't need any more Luke explanations. <laughs> No one, no one needed that ever. No, thank you, Alex. That's really, that's really powerful stuff, and thank you for sharing that. We make jokes because we are awkward. I think, I think, in the narrative of the movie, Rod did make a mistake in that scene, though. Like he should have left off the, the sex, the sex, sex slave, slave part. part. Yeah, yeah. Like he, he made a mistake by including that at the end. I think yeah. he could have. He had a more than justifiable case with. We have a picture of this missing Andre Hayworth guy that showed up at this party. He's been missing for six months. Let's go check it out. And my friend is missing. Well, and and, and uh, he, sorry, he, sorry, Luke. <laughs> like, he, he also finds that there's been a lot of abductions and there's been a lot of people that have gone missing yeah. in and around that neighborhood. And you know, the, to your point of like, yeah, maybe he should have left off the sex cult thing. It still doesn't mean that the police should have like dismissed his case, like just because he. No. You know, he he no. he enters in the like the absurdity of the fact that it is a, a sex cult, a brainwashing sex cult. He, yeah, he shoots himself. He he kneecaps himself a little bit, but it, that that isn't an excuse. Like the police shouldn't be like, mm. oh well, no. we don't have to take you seriously now because you're being a goof. Well, and then that's just that's Jordan Peele's way of commentating on society about how you know in America mm. there's a disproportionate amount of black people missing compared to their total population and then here in Canada it's it's the same but with indigenous people yeah. right it's 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 just it's 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 the absurdity that becomes a reality when you think about it more yeah like I'm sure there are conversations like this that happen every single day in police stations or over the phone when you're talking to a police officer mm-hmm. and they are dismissed because of certain certain factors I unfortunately for 
total justice in the universe. I think Rod should have prioritized saving his friend and then talking about the police officer's yeah. shenanigans and left out the sex cult. Like that's a pragmatic point. Yeah. For if your friend if you legitimately think your friend is in jeopardy, you will take with a grain of salt the fact that the police aren't the perfect weapon or the perfect thing right now because they're like your best chance to save your friend. So yeah, like it's kind of two different discussions, I guess. Yeah. Of let's go when when Chris is safe and sound, we can go talk about how you didn't believe me, you goddamn police officer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's go get my friend and then I'll yell at you after. Exactly. Yeah. That was my like small critique of Rod. Rod and I'm curious too, because I got I got a vibe or a sense that there was a tongue in cheek little joke going around about conspiracy theories in the black community from the way that Chris and Rod talked to each other and a lot of the way that Rod talked. And it was like kind of in a in a nice way, in a funny way, that it made me feel like Jordan Peele was including that stuff as kind of like winks and nods to conspiracy theorists mm. who might <laughs> might exist. Like if there's like a subculture in black culture of conspiracy theory that's like has its own unique flavor in the black community, which mm. you kind of feel a bit with Rod, which I loved. I thought it was so funny, just his his musings about everything, right? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I liked his musings. I liked his, you know, his interplay with all the characters. Like all, all of all of Rod's screen time was great, and you know, I like at the very end when he ends up saving Chris, and it takes him like it's like it's like a good twenty seconds where they're driving and nobody's saying anything, and he like looks over and then he looks back at the road and he starts to say something and then he stops and then he starts again and then he stops and he's just like finally he's like. I told you. I told you not to go in that house. Like, <laughs> just like... He- T.S. motherfucking A. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and actually, this just occurred to me, but it's perfect. The The Armitages and basically all the white people in this movie, except Jim, again, ironically, the guy who <laughs> wants his brain. Yeah, the blind right, guy. Yeah. They're all vague and bullshitty in their conversation, right? It's all just kind of like social niceties kind of weird politeness not really committed to anything yeah yeah, i would vote for obama for three terms whatever like airy fairy kind of non-committal language performative and yet rod and chris yeah rod and chris are specific they talk about who and where and when and why like so there's like a very clear agent to all of the actions of what's going on oh yeah i thought that was kind of interesting too how the two of them had to be specific and actual problem solving and like just that scene where in like two seconds rod lifts off a relationship chain of like five people to connect this andre character to someone chris would know and chris is like yes i knew it yeah yeah, right? yeah like it's just like that level of specificity and real language and i think maybe i'm just making a kind of i don't know exactly the point i'm making other than I'm way more attracted to the way that Chris and Rod talked in this movie than I'm attracted to the way that these like bullshitty aristocratic, you know, cult fucks talk. <laughs> yeah. And anyone like them. And it's 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 <laughs> it's further reinforced because, you know, obviously you find out that in Georgina and Walter is, you know, grandpa and grandma. And it, it it's reinforced in the way they talk to Chris too. It's like later on when after you're done watching the movie and you kind of understand that and know the twist and know what all the characters are, you're like, that's why they sounded so weird. They were talking in this like upper white class er, er, aristocratic, whatever that word is, 
Luke, help me out here. What is it? What, 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 what word am I looking for? Aristocratic. Aristocratic way. And it's like, of course, it's just so, like, it's not how, you know, Rod and, and Chris were talking with each other at all. And mm-hmm. you, you realize why. Yeah. Real life versus non-real life. Like. Or she's just, yeah, she's just talking like a really old lady. Like, I loved when Georgina, when Chris finds out his phone is unplugged. And then Georgina's like, oh, I lifted up your cellular telephone and it must have come unhooked and I was afraid to wreck it more, so I didn't do anything. It's just like, <laughs> she's, like what's, she doesn't know how to plug a cell phone in. And it's just like, like I've, I've been around, uh, you know, old people and computers who are like, I don't want to touch anything because I'll break it. Like, that was, yeah, I like that touch when, because it, it feeds into them being strange and then you find out that, oh yeah, it's because grandma and grandpa's brains are in their bodies. Which, mm-hmm. should we talk about the surgery? Should we talk a little bit about, like, what is ultimately going to happen to Chris in that he's going to get his brain taken out and have Stephen Root's characters, Jim. Jim, yeah, Jim's brain put into his head and then his consciousness gets, like, shoved aside and is still there, but the body becomes controlled by Jim. And just, I know that they've probably done this procedure a lot of times, but I like the fact that the hubris of Dean and the like kind of blaseness of Dean means that he starts this surgery before Chris is even in the room. And that seemed like really, should you be cutting off like the top of his head and just like throwing his skull in the garbage before the other guy's even there? Like, it seems like that's something you don't wait on if you're doing a very intensive brain surgery. <laughs> you- this is a family business. They're not accredited by, you know, the, right. the surgeon, the surgical board of America or whatever. Sure. Again, I I think this kind of thing I think is a great critique of wealth and class where mm. rich surgeons who live out in the country just don't have to take into consideration things that would be maybe common sense, you know? Yeah. You'd think a surgeon would in during surgery, but again at at a more symbolic level like this whole family just assumes they can do whatever they want with whoever mm. they want. Because yeah. fuck it, we're rich. You That's know? true, yeah. And so I think there's some sort of, like, the rules don't apply to us, so why would I even be due diligent in my kind of myopia of how I conceive of the world in the first right. place? Right, this is going to work out right? because it's always worked out, yeah. It's like a kind of, like, quote-unquote, more serious version of Lucille Bluth from Arrested right. Development. <laughs> it's a banana. What could it cost? $10? $10? That's a good point. There's our <laughs> reference. <laughs> so yeah, that's that's what I thought about. Like just the way that they didn't take as many precautions as they obviously needed to, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and it was it didn't occur to them that someone could cover their ears, could fake them out. It didn't occur to them that Chris was this smart. Yeah, they just so, they got they got yeah they got conceited know. and they got used to the fact exactly. that it's always worked and then just that whole last scene where it really dives into like the slasher gore part of the movie and the and the the real violent stuff i just love the choice of the weapons that they put in there like again mm, also yeah. very like high class very privileged ways that are bringing down these people you know jeremy gets banged on the head by a bocce ball which is like you know a very sort of fancy oh lawn party bocce ball game i know we played it in your backyard luke (laughs) (laughs) which is very fancy we're not talking about like 
we're not talking about like the fifteen dollars set from Walmart filled with water, right? We're talking like <laughs> yeah. the three hundred dollars set made out of like pure whatever ceramic, whatever shit they make fancy bocce balls. Yeah. Like these things are happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Those bocce balls this can is... really kill someone, right? <laughs> this is regular. This is regulation yeah. weight. But then he, so uh, I like that he he takes out Jeremy with the bocce ball, then he escapes, and then the next weapon he uses. Well, he he he. He rams Dean with like with the, the deer the head, yeah. skull, the deer's head, yeah. 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 Like he's great. He just like I just love the scene that yeah. Again, that's like a very privileged. Like you can hunt and you can have deers, you know, mounted. And taxidermy is very expensive. And like you know, he's taking him down with with this other tool of his privilege. And then the horror movie trope that I cut that comes in that I like a lot from, you know, from, from being observant of it in cabin of the woods is that he never uses the same one twice. Like he drops the bocce ball. Mm -hmm. He doesn't, I mean, obviously the stag's head is a bit unwieldy as a weapon and it's like, okay, well I'm not going to like run around and stab a bunch of people, but you know, everybody in the, everyone that he takes down is killed with a different person. Like, uh, Missy is killed with the uh, letter opener, I think, and then and then he uses it again when Jeremy per- turns out that he's not dead, but just like he he never uses the same, he never keeps the same weapon twice, and that's such a that's such a trope in horror movies of, you know, they push the little button and then mm. the shock happened and they dropped it. <laughs> I think Jeremy coming back in that scene was like the one kind of part of the movie where I was like, oh, this is kind of a horror cliche, like you take two massive hits to your head from a bocce ball. You're not in fighting shape 30 seconds later. Like it's just not. So I I was like, "Uh." but then it was cool to see how Chris beat Jeremy again by predicting his movements. Like that was really cool. So it like almost redeemed it, but that was like maybe the, could have been an MMA fighter, huh? (laughs) Looks like Jeremy was right all along. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like Jeremy, Jeremy was like fighting like he was stronger because he got hit in the head yeah. twice with this. Oh, uh, maybe ball. adrenaline. I, like, I don't know. Wait a, but, wait a minute. But yeah, I did. I did like that scene where he like goes for the door and then Jeremy kicks it closed and then he's like being choked out and Chris tries to reach for the door again and I'm like, Chris, why are you doing that? He's just gonna kick it. Oh, you knew. That. And then he like he stabs him in the thigh yeah. when when Jeremy predictably kicks the door closed a second time and he's got his leg open for that sweet sweet leg stab and of course chris is not gonna <laughs> he's gonna remember to double tap this time on jerry kicks him like 12 times yeah. in the head like stomps yeah, really american history x's him hard that's like chris you should have done that with a bocce ball two minutes ago bud well that's the same thing with like every horror movie like killer like anytime we talk about michael myers it's like why didn't you just shoot him a bunch more times you can't just like you yeah right. like the first time okay we stabbed him we think he gets back up after that point you should just be like you know what i don't trust this michael myers guy blam 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 blam, blam dead and like <laughs> i i think just as a just as a purely like aesthetic criticism I found that particular thing with Jeremy a little jarring because the whole movie previous had been had a sense of realism to it. Now, obviously, the the brain transplant isn't, but everything else felt pretty real and normal. And mm-hmm. it just it was like, wait a minute, what? Like you're just you're Michael Myersing Jeremy here? Why? Yeah, but like yeah. it's a small thing. But no, yeah. nothing is too small for me to not point out along the way. <laughs> you do love to pick a nit, but I also love that uh, again the house ends up taking taking we don't see it get destroyed but they do start a fire because of course 
you're going to do brain surgery with open flame candles just all around like that's of course why not <laughs> i like my operating room to have a nice lavender scent it just keeps you calm i don't know about you <laughs> cult brain surgery got a cult billy cult brain surgery got a cult. It's true i bet the like in the coagula handbook it's like make sure you have two candles in there they must be vanilla lavender scent and put it by the like very flammable muslin drapes but not too close we don't want to fire and like yeah so he gets the the house gets he knocks the candle over once he takes out dean and then of course the fire starts and goes unchecked because we have the fight with missy and we have the fight with the second fight with jeremy and then he runs out only to be pursued by walter he gets into the car yeah no georgina georgina like he runs over georgina with his car it's like a little flashback to you know how he he never called the cops when his mom showed up late and it turned out if he did she would have probably survived because she didn't die till the morning from the hit and run so he's like he he gets that flashback back and he's like oh well i'm not i'm not doing this again so he he puts georgina in the passenger seat which you know is a bad idea in hindsight because she's culted by grandma yeah and that was another like that scene like i think georgina gave me the most sort of like startles because a lot of her arrivals were very unexpected or or she was accompanied by the like jump scare music when she's like walking abruptly you know between a doorway distantly you're not expecting her like that's that was like a very jump scare part and then of course she gets she gets hit by the car like you said and he picks her up and then he sees that she's got the the scar and you even hear rose be like that's my grandma or whatever <laughs> and start chasing him down with the gun Woo. yeah it was a great ending really awesome climax to this movie like not a ton of violence until it right yeah not a ton of violence till the till the very end and we have we have walter who's like chased him down because he doesn't want him to get away and they're they're having like a, another another brawl and he manages to 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 pay off the Chekhov's cell phone camera flash and stun Walter's brain for a minute. But then then how does he kill Walter? I can't remember. So Walter that. kills Wal- himself. Remember? Oh, Walter! Right, Walter. Yes, right. Walter. Kills After himself. he shoots Rose, he kills himself. Oh yeah, right. But, like right. I totally got that reversed. Mostly to kill roman i guess yeah right yeah because he's like he's in there is it's his brain but like in the in the split i don't know in the time that he's back in control and has agency over his body he's like i'm not letting this motherfucker get away so yeah and we don't know how long that will be body. for mm-hmm. all right so chris is driving away in the past and then in the passenger seat is georgina yeah. and she wakes up and she's like you ruined everything in this house and she like attacks him and she crashes she he crashes the car and he gets out, and Georgina's clearly dead. And then as he's running away from the car, Rose and Walter are chasing him. And Rose has a gun and is shooting him. And then she goes, get him, Grandpa. And Walter is, like, sprinting, tackles him, and they're having a, a kerfuffle. And that's when we get Chekhov's camera phone flash, and he in, in, incapacitates <laughs> Walter, and Walter becomes Walter again and not Roman. Yeah. But Rose doesn't know that. So Rose is about to shoot Chris, but Walter goes, no, let me do it. And he takes the gun and he turns it on Rose, shoots Rose in the stomach. And then he turns back around and points the gun at Chris. And you're like, oh, shit. Like, you get the feeling, oh, shit. Like, Roman's back in control. But then Walter shoots himself. Right. So you have Thank Rose you. with a shot in the stomach. And then you have a dead Roman. 
and then Chris goes to choke Rose. Right, and he goes to choke her, and she's doing that whole, like, I still love you. Like, she's trying to turn back into, like, first half of the movie Rose and, like, remind him of the relationship they had. And he, he doesn't, I guess he doesn't actually kill her. Like, he can't actually strangle her even after everything she's done. And that's when, go ahead, No, he's about, he's about to, but then the sirens show up. So mm-hmm. he stops and he, he stands And then up. they just, he and Rod just leave and Rose bleeds out and dies. We just assume she dies, mm-hmm. yeah. You're right. I think they show her die. Like They showed the life go out of her eyes. Okay. I mean, yeah. Okay, fair enough. Yeah, 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 you're right. But then, yeah, that whole scene at the end where you think it's it's safe and he's finally gotten away, like, Walter's dead, Grandma's dead, Rose has got a bad gunshot wound to her stomach. It's not likely she's, she's a, a, a risk anymore. And then you see the flashing lights. And immediately for me, I was like, oh, fuck. Like, this isn't going to, like I talked about it earlier, this isn't going to end well for him. We think he's going to be arrested by the police or even worse. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I was like, oh, this is not good. Like, he's not safe. And then as soon as, like, Rod came in, my, like, my note page just has the word Rod written three times with, like, a bunch of exclamation points. I was like, Rod! Yeah! You saved him! And then that's how the movie ends. Rod saves him, gives him a minute, and then says, I told you not to go to that house. And that's the end of Get Out. He survives. He got out. He got out. This movie, I don't even know how long we've been recording for, but I feel like this one's going to be a bumper episode, folks. But, yeah. Our longest episodes are always the best movies. That's true. Do we have any final thoughts to say about Get Out before we go in there? I think I've I've said pretty much all I want to say, but what about you two? There's so much you can talk about with this movie. There's so many layers to it and so much like really, whether it's subtle or really in your face pieces of social commentary that if we really dissected every little bit about this movie, we'd be here, you know, for much, much, much longer. Mm -hmm. But with that being said, I think, I think what, what we talked about was pretty good for me. And we really hit on like the big important points and the points that really resonated with me. Yeah. I think that, like this, you're right. This is a movie you can talk about forever. I want to keep talking about it, and I want to talk about it with more people. And I feel like, you know, I'm I'm three years late to the party because this movie came out in 2017, and I'm just like, I want to talk about get out with some people, and everyone's like, yeah, we already saw that movie. But I don't know. I feel like this is one I'm just gonna want to like have conversations with people about. And part of really why I'm enjoying getting into these movies is like, ah, like there's so much more cool stuff to talk about now. But anyway, Luke, anything else you want to mention? I think just that this movie it's another great example of the you know written and directed by thing where you have someone essentially with total creative control and they they have a vision and they want to manifest it and that can be so great like if you are on the same wavelength as the artist's vision you have some of the best movies ever and if some and if you're off it can be difficult but I felt like I was like 90% sharing the vision of Jordan Peele in this movie. So it's just like, it's so great to see a piece of art crafted by a genius who made what he wanted to make with presumably relatively low studio interference. Because the truth is that when a, a, a really intelligent artist has full creative control, you just get a better movie. You get a better script. You get better acting. You get better dialogue. Tommy Wazoo, <laughs> notwithstanding. Sorry, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can often, I won't say always, you often get just 
someone whose name is so attached to the final product that they want to make sure it's exactly what they want to show and give to us. And I just think this movie itself is so wonderful that we haven't really talked about how that this is the creative locus and expression of Jordan Peele. And I think of all of the people who deserve the credit for this movie, obviously it's him. Like the story, the filming, the acting, the script that he wrote, he wrote everything, right? So he he did amazing and this was a written and directed that just totally landed well yeah and like this was a movie that was made i think for like four million dollars and smashed box office records forever and like i I said before this is one of those movies where i was like but i don't watch horror movies so i guess i don't watch get out and Mm. really missed out and so i'm really glad to have seen it and i can understand it and i can talk about it and yeah hooray should we mention one addendum to one one addendum to that do it <laughs> just how i've been talking with some friends in the last like six months about movies how i just feel i feel so like there aren't enough original screenplay movies anymore they just seem to be all adaptations it's all comic books or novels or like reboots of and so just to see a movie that was written to be a movie yeah and executed as a movie it's just so rare now and like it's an extra treat i think to see something that's an original screenplay yeah, I, I agree, because as much as I love, you know, I love all the MCU movies, I love all the Star Wars stuff, I love, like, the comic book, big-budget popcorn stuff, it is really nice to see a movie that's, like, not like everything you've seen before. And, yeah, mm-hmm. I echo that statement 100%. Now we have to check to make sure that this wasn't an adaptation of anything. <laughs> Tell us if it was... I, th- I think I think he won he won the uh, Academy Award for best original screenplay. Do we think? Pretty sure. I think so. I'm not sure, but you can you can check. I guess. Oh, we we don't need to check that. That's not what we do here. We don't need to look that up. We just say <laughs> things and don't check them up. We won't ask Jeeves. Should we talk about what our scariest parts of the entire movie were? Yes. The answer is yes. Yes. <laughs> uh, while it was it was pretty like scare light. I think for me. The two really jump scares of the car accidents, those were the scariest parts. Those were the ones where I was like, what the hell? And and when the deer jumps out at the start, and then later when Georgina hits the car, those were really startling. And then also watching Walter turn the gun on himself, that was one of those things where I was like, my brain was like a a millisecond behind what was on the screen. I was like, wait, what's happening? And then like, by the time he like shot himself in the head, I was like, I was in the process of like covering my eyes. And then it was like, oh, it just happened so quickly. So I think that part for me was like the most scary startling part. For me, the scariest part of the movie was when Chris goes out in the first night for a smoke and you just see Walter running out of the woods right at him. And it's just, it's, just the way that the camera's angled and the way that it's like it's dark out but it's very clearly like he like it's running the the way it's shot where Walter's just running right at the camera and it's the POV of Chris is just you're like what is going on and it's just so weird and so fast that your brain doesn't have time to kind of process what's going on and then he like just veers off last second that was that was the strangest and weirdest part of the movie for me. Yeah. Scariest. <laughs> strangest, scariest, and weirdest. Yeah. Luke? Other than the real-life fear of Jeremy's douchebaggery, which is just an eminent terror everywhere it goes, 
I think the first time I watched it, the scene that unnerved me the most or like took me out of like this kind of like the Twilight Zone feel that I mentioned at the very beginning is because there's like a lot of weird things that have happened before this scene. But it's a scene at the party where Chris goes upstairs and everyone's talking and they immediately stop talking oh, yeah. and just stare, look mm. up the stairs to after Chris. Because it's like at that moment, you know, it's all about him. Like you haven't totally like... Oh, okay, that's a weird thing to say about this guy. Oh, you're touching his arm. Oh, you're talking about Tiger Woods. That's all weird. But the moment that it's everyone stops talking and stares upstairs, you're like, okay, there's something really fucking Twilight Zoney going on yeah. here. And that is really un really unnerving when that happens. So that was really good. Mm-hmm. Yep, I agree. Yeah. So I would not not scary, but I think the best, like kind of unique horror element in the movie. Yeah, it's very unnerving to to see I actually made a note of that where, yeah, as soon as, like, he's gone, every, like, all the conversation shuts off, and you're just like, whoa, what is going on? Yeah, they all look, just anybody doing, like, crowd scene stuff or everyone moving in the same direction in those type of movies is like, "Uh uh-oh, I'm in danger. (laughs) This is a dangerous No, it's just a unanimous flash mob. (laughs) Really boring (laughs) white person flash mob. Where's Fat Boy Slim? Where's Fat Boy Slim? (laughs) Should we should we give this a rating? What do we want to rate it out of this week? It's got to do out of five somethings. Hmm. Five Chekhov's, Chekhov's camera flashes. <laughs> <laughs> or teacups. Ooh, five teacups. Yeah, I like that. Out of five teacups. That's a great one. Go ahead, Luke. Why don't you start us off? Yeah, this, this is like a total package, this movie. The story's incredible. The acting's even better. The twists are awesome you can you'll definitely watch this movie again with like a different eye especially with rose so the only the only thing i didn't like about it was the end part where jeremy comes back actually that was the only part where i was like uh you're extending out the climax of this movie in a way that i don't think you need to yeah but whatever so i'm gonna give it 4.75 4.75 cool alex what about you yeah i love this movie it's really good I recommend anyone that hasn't watched it, like, do yourself a favor and watch this movie because it is incredible. And yeah, great story, great acting. I loved every every minute of it. So five teacups out of five for me. Ooh. Yeah, same for me. I'm also a five out of five teacups on this one. I feel bad for not having watched it in the last three years when it has been out for so Almost long. Almost four. Almost four now, yeah. I am... So glad I did watch it. It was just, it's a movie that I watched two days ago and I haven't stopped thinking about it since. And I think that, yeah, if you haven't watched this movie, you really, really should. It's not that scary. It's not like a creepy supernatural horror movie. It'll make you feel uncomfortable. If there's, if you're upset by gore, I can see maybe it'd be a little bit squeamish, but there's not a whole ton of gore in this one. The worst, I think the worst gore is you see the top of Steven Root's brain in the surgery. And that's probably the most like yucky part aside from people getting run through by deer antlers and, you know, the gunshots, obviously. But it's definitely, even if you're too scared to watch horror movies, watch Get Out. And I wish I heard this Mm -hmm. advice three years ago. Okay, but now I have to ask the two of you a question. 
Go for it. Cuz this is the second this is the second movie you both have given 5 out of 5 or presumably the perfect score on this podcast. So, I have what, to What are you know, keeping track or something? Do, I have a memory of these things. Only only the best ones though. So, do you think this movie is worse, better or the same as Hereditary, which is the other movie you gave a, each gave a 5 out of 5 for? I mean, I guess the easy answer is it's the same because it's the same score. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is like, I just am curious. It's the same, but it's it's different. It's a different movie. Yeah. You know, Hereditary is, it's a horror movie. 100% it's a horror movie. Yeah. And it was just an original story and really well acted and really well like paced and filmed. This one, it's the same. It's an original story, really well acted, really well paced and filmed. But... I think it's the it's it's a different movie in that I didn't like there are horror elements in this but like like you said the real horror is the reality of it right yeah and I think that's that's what that, that's why I like this movie so much so it's same but different yeah that's okay. my answer. I, I I agree and I think that the same reasons I gave hereditary five were you know like nothing on nothing in this movie was done by accident in the first off everything paid off later there was enough there was so many twists that I could not guess where the movie was going. It was so unpredictable. Even the parts where I was like, oh, it's going to go this way. It went in a slightly different direction. It kept me on my toes the whole time. And right up till the credits started rolling, I was like, I don't know how this is going to turn out. And I think that is the same thing with Hereditary, right? Like that was, I didn't know that it was going to be a, you know, demon cult hail payment till we saw it right at the end. And I think that, yeah, for that, like that's why it's it's a five. It's a five for me. Cool. So they're they're both the same. They're both the same. And I would absolutely watch. Yeah, but different. I would I would watch. I would watch this movie again for sure. Mm-hmm. Me too. Yeah. You'll get a lot out of it too. The second. Time. I can't wait. I the, I'm only mad because it's not streaming on anything, and I had to I had to rent it off YouTube. But I, I that's fine. I'll yeah. rent it again sometime. But that'll bring us to kind of the end of the movie discussion part of the the episode but before we get into our something to cheer i did want to do a little bit of a 30th episode check-in with the two of you just to make this episode even longer but you know this is our last episode for 2020 this is our last another another 10 number another base 10 number 30 episodes seems significant and i just kind of want to get a little check-in with both of you on like how you feel about horror in general and has it has it continued to change your mind about horror from even when we did this first check-in like with uh, Sinister way, way back in episode 10, uh, which we, we had a little bit of a conversation again, but like, has your relationship to horror changed in the intervening sort of 20 weeks or 30 weeks since we started this? Who wants to go first? I'll go first. I think my opinion of the genre of horror has improved. I used to think that this was kind of a like a joke genre, kind of right off. There's nothing substantial that comes out of it. And, you know, there's evidence of that, you know, for sure, especially with some of the not as good movies that we watch. But at the same time, there's just, I think completely writing off the whole genre was a big disservice to myself because I missed out on a lot of great, great movies. And, you know, every every once in a while, there's there's those perfect five movies that come out, like perfect five out of five movies that come out, like Hereditary and Get Out that make me feel that horror as a genre still hasn't 
fully developed yet and there's still so much more out there and i'm really excited to see what the future of this genre has Mm-hmm. that's cool how about you luke probably the truth is that i've become more augmented in my thoughts about it in that i i i kind of have this temporal chauvinism i guess <laughs> where <laughs> older movies i'm just not really impressed by and newer ones tend to turn my crank a bit more um, easy it's a family think... show <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> Does it I... crank clockwise or counterclockwise <laughs> Um, depends if you're in the northern or southern hemisphere. Oh, yes. The Coriolis event. <laughs> Sorry, continue with your point, yes. please. <laughs> no, no, no. Distraction is... Uh, you know what? Also, sorry. <laughs> we haven't done this yet, I don't think. Luke Skywalker. Okay, now we can get back to business. <laughs> yeah, I think I... It's really, really hard for me. Like, this is just my... It's hard for horror movies to end well. It's hard for a good payoff at the end of a horror movie. And so like a lot of movies, I think, bring up a really cool premise or like kind of keep you titillated along the way. And then I feel often let down in the third act, especially in the climaxes and the decision making of the people. So a movie like Get Out is so great to see like a movie that can finish well as well as like introduce a cool mystery. But I think I appreciate the movies that expect something out of me, like a critical watcher. Not not like to say it's bad, but to have a fair-minded but discerning eye about what's happening in the film. And I think that modern horror movie makers are starting to do that more, mm-hmm. which is probably why it correlates with my appreciation of more modern horror films than than older ones. So it's kind of like the directors and writers are taking a bigger gamble on their audience. And I appreciate that more. Yeah, it seems. Yeah, I think I think what you're saying is is all very wise as the as the genre moves, moves on with cinema as well. And for me, I think, yeah, I'm noticed as wise as Master Yoda and as powerful (laughs) as Master Windu. Yes. (laughs) Okay. thank you. Just wanted to clarify. That was a more organic one. Was it? A little bit more than Luke Skywalker. <laughs> All right, midichlorians. There we go. Now I've done <laughs> done what too. Right. The worst part of Star Wars. Anyway, so like w- watching, like again, I think I appreciate Alex your point on delving deeper into the genre and finding the good ones because you know there are good and bad movies in every genre, right? Like there are really stupid formulaic action movies that are kind of fun to watch and then there's really good ones that are thought-provoking and interesting and please don't ask me to to name any right now because i cannot do it but you know there are there are no film genre is a monolith right if i had only ever watched army of darkness and somebody said this is what horror movies are i would be like well boo i don't like that And, you know, but again, if I had only ever watched Hereditary and they said, this is what horror movies are, then I would have been disappointed. And so it's nice to know, like, to see some of the shades of gray. And you really do appreciate the good. I really have more of an appreciation for the good ones when they come along. Now that I've watched some of the ones that are like the formulaic, you know, A to B to C, you have a killer, you have these people die, the last girl survives, the killer doesn't die quite away because so there can be a sequel. Like having those 
to build up a base makes me appreciate the ones that are really good and really well crafted. And I think just like anything else, the more you experience, the more, you know, broad your palette gets and the more you can tell like, okay, this I don't like, but this I'm fine with. This is really, really interesting. And even like the worst horror movies that we have done for the show and that are still out there to do are still really fun because, you know, I get to talk with uh, with you two about them. And it's fun just to pick apart movies as well for me. So I, I'm really glad that I w- we waited and like I waited to put this one all the way at the end of, for episode 30 because I don't think I would have appreciated the nuances as much at like episode five or 10 or even episode like 15. And I think like having the base of these other 29 episodes behind it helps me appreciate it a little bit more for like, I can recognize what the good qualities are. So bring on the next, next batch of 10 episodes, I guess. <laughs> Can't wait. 10 weeks later, 10 weeks later. Uh, what will that be like March? Probably. Isn't that a horror movie? <laughs> 10 weeks. No, that's 27 uh, 20... days later. 28 so close 28 days no. later look oh, it's some it's 20 27 to 29 we can't really nail it down any closer <laughs> yeah that. we gotta be on, on either side we can't ever nail it down <laughs> friend should we cheer something i think i think we should definitely cheer something in fact i insist upon it i won't hear any objections and i will go last because i have a nice one that i want to say so who wants to go who wants to go first? Alex or Luke? I'll ha- I'll go first because I don't have a. No- I don't. Mine's not quite as nice as yours. Thanks. Okay. So I'll go first. All right. Go ahead, Alex. <laughs> yeah. So as of when this episode comes out, basketball will have resumed for about a week. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited about that. I miss watching sports every day, or at least sports that I care about. So it's just something something nice to do when you're stuck at home. Mm-hmm. Yay! That's something to cheer. Luke, what are you cheering? I'm cheering that last night, you know, with this extra lockdown we're experiencing right now, it's not exactly fun times all around. So I've been watching a lot of television slash movies. And last night on Crave, I streamed and watched this movie called The Hunt Ooh. with uh, Betty Betty Gilpin, who is the lead in it. And it's a comedy, it's a, it's a comedy, a violent comedy and the premise is these American elites who kidnap 12 of the deplorables to go send them out into the forest and then they they hunt them, right? Like they just, they're hunting humans. <laughs> and it's like this weird kind of like premise because it's like, it's supposed to be like a satire against the elites, but it's also like, it's kind of like this weird political comedy almost too that doesn't exactly take a side one way or the other because it kind of just shows the worst and so Hunger Gamesy kind of Hunger Gamesy but just like it makes fun of the conspiracy theorists but it makes fun of the people who just think they're just categorically better than other people like the elites are all like guys and people in tech or you know like inherited wealth and then the deplorables are like farmers and big game hunters and it's just like this hilarious mishmash of kind of modern american conflict like modern american (laughs) cultural conflict but like without really like they make jokes at kind of both sides expense and it's really funny so yeah, it was a good movie. I enjoyed it a lot. Is it a movie or a TV show? It's a, it's a movie. It's called The Hunt, and it's it's pretty funny. And it's yeah, it's streaming on Crave right now in Canada. Ooh. 
which is yeah. variably like Hulu and Prime and Netflix in the States if you want to watch it. I don't know why. You, yeah. you figure it out. I would like to cheer both of you. Uh, and I know that, that you've you've done this before, Alex, but I really do like that we're we're here at the end of 2020 as this episode comes out, the last Monday of 2020. And it's just been so fun to sit down with you and start this project and work on it and grow it from an idea that, you know, I had in pandemic to like a real thing. And it's been it's been really, really cool to you know, I think we we were friends at work when we worked together and then we beat the odds of, you know, not working together anymore and staying friends instead of just like sort of drifting apart. And I, I really do value both of y'all as friends and for doing the show. And so my cheer is nothing to fear as well. And and the two of you. So, yeah. Well, thanks, Billy. That's really nice of you. Aww. Yeah. Well, uh, now I'm glad I went first. <laughs> that definitely was the best one. <laughs> Yes, I win something to cheer. <laughs> what do I win? Another cheer. Yay. And that's something to cheer. But <laughs> this is going to this is going to do it for another episode of Nothing to Fear and I will go through the all little end wrap up bits. So Let's do thank yous. Thank you to all of you for listening. Thank you, Luke and Alex, for joining me every week and sometimes more when we do two episodes for, like, bonus ones. Thank you to Alex as well for writing the theme tunes and the little variations on the theme tunes that we've used. Thank you to Katie Rogers, who designed our main logo, and she has designed some funky other episode-unique logos for the show. Those are really cool, and you keep... You keep sending them to me, and I'm really excited to put them out. Right now, I can only figure out how to get them to show up if you listen through Spotify. But if you go to the Instagram, nothing to fear podcast, there's a post where you can check those out. And they're really, really cool to to see. You can find me over on Billy by Design, I before E when spelling Billy, and there's underscores between the words. You can also follow the show on Twitter, nothing to fear P1, although I have recently gotten bad at using Twitter again because... There's not as much engagement. So follow us on Twitter and I'll get better at it. You can send the show an email at nothing to fear podcast at gmail.com. Alex, do you want to share your your socials yet or you just want us to follow you here? Follow me here. You know, if I put my stuff out there and, you know, someone Googles NCAA prospect, <laughs> they might find me. So I'm not. Yeah, like, fair I enough. Get That's killed. totally fair. Luke, where can people find and follow you? I totally thought that was a basketball joke, not a get out joke <laughs> Alex <laughs> I thought you were like revealing something about your basketball aspirations right now or something no, those but are, it makes the only thing I would reveal are my ping pong aspirations <laughs> yes yeah you can listen to me and my cousin David on really true fiction and hopefully probably actually by the time this comes out if everything goes according to plan so i guess you could <laughs> keep this in or not billy based on it that you should be able to hear alex on an episode with david and we I. we keep so. teasing it we keep teasing it it's that that uh it's yeah eventually this year it'll be out you know if if somebody is listening to this episode five years from when it was recorded and there still is no alex episode of really true <laughs> <laughs> It's coming, we promise. Prisoner of Alex Caban. 
If you would like to support the show, of course, following us on our socials is a great way to do so. But a really, really easy way to do that is to leave us a rating and a review over on iTunes or wherever you listen to pods, however you do that. And we've had we've we've had no review for a while, but we have one that I found by being able to search the American reviews on Nothing to Fear. And so here I was. We have two two reviews on there, both five stars. We read one from Mix Mistress from Brooke a little while ago. But this one is five stars sent to us from September 28th. So a few months ago. We didn't find it until now. But apologies to JJ Jazz. Thank you for leaving us a five-star review. And JJ Jazz says, The show offers great perspective on film and criticism without falling into the trap of reading straight from the plot. The hosts are very thoughtful and have good chemistry. Simple review. And you can do one of those very simply. You can do one of those by going to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and taking a minute to to type a little five-star review and we'll read it out on the pod. And if you have a little bit of money and you don't mind spending it on us, we do have some merchandise available on our Public store. The links for that are linked in the show notes of this episode, as well as on the Instagram. You can go there. There's some cool, funky designs for our show, including a daytime and safety design by my friend Madison, which is so cool. And it's really helpful to support the show and help us grow. And yeah, we are going to be back next week. We're going to be back for January 4th, which is January is all of all three of ours birthday month. And so what we will be doing for the four weeks in January is picking a horror movie from the year we were born and doing that for the episode of the week. But listener, dear listener, I can hear you saying, but there are only three of you and there are four Mondays in January. Well, we have picked the unofficial fourth person of the podcast, Mark, whose birthday is also in January. And he... And we're doing crazy rich Asians. No. <laughs> Good one. We, we, were gonna, we are going to be doing 1989 Stephen King adaptation of Pet Cemetery. So stay tuned for that in 2021. And, you know... Even though this year has been strange and unprecedented and really confusing, it has been a blast doing this show with you folks. And so I will let you say goodbye to 2020. Luke, would you like to say goodbye? Not just 2020, to whoever you want, to the listeners. Goodbye, 2020. I am excited that you are hindsight. (laughs) Yay. And Alex, goodbye as well to you. Later 2020, best year of my life so far. So far. Wait, did I say best? (laughs) Actually, I don't know. This year is interesting. Whatever, whatever. It's a year. (laughs) This year has been great. We'll see you next week. We'll see you next week. Everybody stay safe out there. (laughs) Have a safe new year. Have a happy new year. And remember, they're just movies. There's nothing to fear. Get Out is a 2017 American horror film written and directed by Jordan Peele and his dictator directorial debut it stars daniel kalua allison williams lil ray howery bradley whitford caleb landry jones a bunch of other people uh get out follows can i start this over let's start this over All right. carolyn keener, this over. Yeah. Carolyn cut, keener cut, is cut. also in this movie <laughs> i'm not gonna say who it stars carolyn keener there's, too, there's a big there's a big list who did the dog Actually, play which uh, was the dog <laughs> uh, who does Stanfield. the dog play <laughs>
Who does the dog play? Okay, right. take two. I'm ready. Take two. Hello there, listeners of Nothing to Fear. Billy here. Again, at the end of the very episode with another little bonus. I was very, very honored to sit down recently and chat with a good friend of mine, Shannon McDill, who has her own podcast. And we recorded a little mini-sode talking more about Get Out and horror movies in general with her. And I've included a little snippet right at the end here for your listening enjoyment. And if you are interested in hearing the entire episode, that will be coming out December the 29th of 2020. So if you're listening to this on the day it is released, then tomorrow there's a little mini episode for you, a little New Year's treat. So we hope that your New Year's is wonderful and safe and happy and that 2021 brings you so much and hey we made it through 2020 we did it all right enjoy this snippet so you're you're a self-professed sort of scaredy cat growing up did you have like those sleepovers where people would watch the horror movies and and the scary movies and freak you out did you did you grow up watching those or were you always too afraid to participate no i was never too afraid and i'm one of those people that like i i like the the thrill of being scared but you know, within my own control. So like, I'll watch this when I want to watch it. I didn't really have too much of that, like, you know, like my friend group going and, you know, watching scary movies. But when I was, especially when I was really little, like my older brother is eight years older than I am. So he would have his friends over and they'd be watching like, you know, Freddy Krueger or, you know, Jason or something like that. And I'd be like, mommy, you're scaring me. And, you know, she'd make them turn them off. And then, you know, they would all hate me because I was the whiny little, little sibling. So. (laughs) ruined all the fun (laughs) yeah can't have any fun now (laughs) yeah i remember having a friend who he was definitely the the kid who watched everything and would take great delight in sharing stories on the playground the next day about so to hear the rest of that mini episode you'll have to download it tomorrow from the regular stream and we hope that you do bye-bye